Hey, uh, my name is Chris Colombo. I've been invited to Burn Down Podcast. I'm very excited to be here. Good conversation, a good cigar is probably the most fun you're going to have with your clothes on. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Burn Down. Today's guest is one of the biggest and most successful bookmakers associated with the mafia. He is the son of Joe Colombo, one of the biggest crime bosses in New York. That is no other than Chris Colombo. First of all, in your introduction, that five-letter word you used, you can use it all you want. It just sounds ridiculous if you have knowledge. It does. So, you know so what well, that's, why, that's why I'm here. I I'm here. Actually, you know what? I, I do know what it means because I read, I, I read it from an interview that you had posted about what it actually means. Yes. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's, it's like an Italian acronym of getting the French out yeah. of Italy, right? Yes. yes. It's, it's five, five words that their abbreviations, M-I-F-I-A, means get the French out of our country. Wow. And Italy. Yeah, I remember that was, uh, that was a, a great previous, conversation. That was a previous interview, I think, that you said that on. I just watched it the other day. Um, I, I read it. I read it. Um, it might have been a, a the My interview. My father originally said it on the Dick Cavett show. Now, it wouldn't be that bad of a name, but I don't think those people actually refer to themselves as that. So it's like a stigma against all of them. Yeah, right, right. And when did it, it, it just kind of made its way over, and then people just started saying mafia everywhere. They just started like. It's like my case. Uh, they called it the Colombo Brothers crew. I never committed a crime, but my brother, they just threw him in. And it would be pretty tough to, to recall. We had 26 counts together that were, were erroneous. It was thrown out the first day of trial. And uh, when they brought me in for bail, they brought me in like kind of a lector. You know, what, everything what? but the mask. And they asked the judge before he came out, the magistrate, this why I didn't get bail, if she, they wanted a, a bulletproof thing in between me and them. They said no. Then into the trial, the first day, the 26 counts between me and my brother were thrown out. Uh, my girlfriend, was named a guy by Jerry Clemenza. I knew him my whole life. I knew his father. I love him. He was in my case. And we never, uh, when I got to the bullpen, uh, after they get bail, he was sitting there when they arrested us, waiting to go before the judge. I says, what are you doing here? He says, I'm on your case. He says, you're kidding. I says, what are they going to do? He was much older than me. I says, uh, he says, I, I guess uh, pinching you in your, my high chair at my house where mothers were playing cards. <laughs> To this date, I can't figure out how he ended up on the case. But uh, but that, that, that's an ethnic slur. Now, call it what you want to call it. Say what it is. But don't tarnish all Italians. Right. What, yeah. So what is what is the, what would be the proper way uh, to say it? Today's episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Flying Cigar Company. Visit flyingcigars.com for all your cigar needs, including our cigar, The Blueprint. Flying Cigar Company has been a valued partner of the Burn Down Podcast since we first launched the Blueprint back in July of 2022. Not only are they the exclusive online retailer for our cigar, but they have a great selection of sampler packs, accessories, and humidors. And one of our favorite things about working with Flying Cigar Company is a portion of each sale will go to a veteran organization so you know you're representing a good cause. So visit flyingcigars.com and get your blueprints today. Crime belongs to who owns it. If True. You're a crime, you're convicted, you own that crime. Even True. if you're not convicted, you own that crime. So the proper word is we do live in America, right? So to ethnically categorize someone just for your next case, 
And Italians are the only ethnic group, and not even terrorists, where, where the FBI and these task forces watch Italians waiting for them to commit mm. a crime, not investigating a crime. So, right, just be just because of 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 who you're associated with and who your yes. your your background and, and culture is. In they're the just civilized world that have the conspiracy uh, law. Right, which is the toughest thing to to prove, but it's the h- hardest thing to get out of disprove. Yeah, you know, that's us in Great Britain. It's only used in Great Britain for if there's a plot against the royal family. Right. Mm. So to your point, is it is it's a word that essentially is roping in all Italians into yeah. this, you know, organized crime. Meanwhile, there could be organized crime in culture over here, yeah. or culture over here, anywhere. But they're just yeah. assuming, they oh, because... It's illegal. We're organized crime. Right, right. Fight crime where it is. Don't manufacture it. That's a, that's a good... I've, I actually have never heard uh, somebody explain it that way. Yeah. Where it's like, hey, listen, just because, you know, I'm friends with this person or just because I'm Italian or just because, you know, I hang out with these people doesn't mean that I'm committing a crime. And you're assuming that I'm committing a crime because of, of where I come from. Right. And Italians don't help by, by watching The Sopranos and shows like that. They make us out to be buffoons. And until the RICO law, uh, which they just hired up groups of people and they get felonies, Italians were the least prosecuted, not prosecuted, the least uh, number of crimes committed by any ethnic group. What's the least? And you know what's actually, you had had, uh, said something um, in in an interview. You You were talking about how... Where you have Sopranos and you have you know Goodfellas. Let's let's pick Goodfellas. Goodfellas is is uh, is a great movie. I do enjoy I do enjoy the movie. Yes, it's, it's a great movie. But they portray um, the fellas as like lion cheating, terrible people. But you had said that in an interview that your father was a gentleman, never swore, never drank, yeah. never smoked. Family drunk, oriented. Drank one day, VJ Day, because he was serving in Casablanca. Okay, with the Coast Guard in World War II. But you had mentioned that big family man, morals, values, all of these things that are not almost part- to a fault that aren't portrayed in the movies nowadays, right? Hollywood makes it out to be, oh, they they lie, they cheat, they steal, they they but have they hookers left and right, and it's like that's not that really doesn't, that doesn't catch in people's eyes. That's not really how it yeah. is. No, family men, very good morals. If you take the organized crime element of what they call the Italian, whatever name you want to give it, ethics and morals, it may save this country. Well, sure. actually, yeah, because right. um, it's the finest morals in the world. Right. You had mentioned. Family you respect. had mentioned also. Um, uh, you were saying that the family, the family unit is is broken. The church unit is broken. Our society, you know, dropped the ball, but the values, the morals fixed. are, are, yeah. So, so it can be fixed. So what do you think caused that? And what, how do you think we, we fix that? Because we agree that, that the, the values of the traditional uh, community and traditionalism are law are, are gone and people don't have the same. America has no sense of itself. It's almost become segregated with complaints. Uh, how do you fix it? Very simple. You can end it all with, like they do in England, six months. First of all, people get so involved with uh, who's running for president. How could you serve your people if you're, you're two-plus years into campaigning? 
Doesn't make sense. More than half your term. So if you're worried about getting elected, so if you cut that to six months and you limit the amount of lobbying, the money, put a cap on it mm. for two, and then you cut in the Senate and Congress how many terms they could have. Because the plight that your neighborhood is going through, it's representative of the people of that neighborhood in that particular district. So if a guy's in there 12 years, it becomes let's make a deal, and it becomes it doesn't matter who's who. Right. Give somebody a shot, other people, a young guy coming up, or even an older guy, I don't care. But he knows what's going on in his neighborhood, has the pulse on it now. That's a good and point because there's a lot of people. The there's a lot of people in Congress that are that are you know 40, 50, 60 years in politics, and I go, that's 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 a a, a dictatorship basically. You're yeah. just saying the same person can can be in politics for sixty plus plus years, making all the decisions for for communities. It's like to your point, no, let's get some fresh blood in there. Limit their you know if the presidential term is limit is is limited to two terms, eight maximum of eight years. You know there's been few cases where there's a little, couple more than more than that oddities, but if that's the maximum, why why can somebody in Congress serve for 60-plus years, right? Get some fresh blood in there. How does somebody in their 60-plus years not answering to the, to the calls of the people? They're supposed to be servants of the taxpayer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Not and, benefits of, of what they take with administrative costs. Yeah. That's one of the reasons I'm doing the podcast on, on legalized gambling. What was vice for me is commerce for them today. And they're robbing people. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm oh, educated because yeah. I see my son and his friends, which I raised here. And the younger generation, I think the older people, when you hear them say, uh, uh, this generation, this generation is only what you give them. Uh, the music, the music is only what kids, people, the artists that day are feeling, the vibe out there. Mm. It's an expression. It's artistic. Like the Beatles were indicative of that era. Dion was indicative of that era. Uh, one of my guests on the podcast, Abe Hawk, who was the manager of Led Zeppelin and the, and the record label. They revolutionized music at the time, but that was indicative of what they were feeling and what was the, the temper of what was going on at the time. And rap music has become that too. Mm-hmm. So people block any change, but they refuse to have good values. For instance, when I hear people, I don't get along with my mother, I don't get along with my father. I said this, Multiple times of what the message is. My father used to say, you can judge people how they treat their parents and their children. If they're not good to you, the or, what shot you got? Now, if my mother was a drug addict, and she wasn't, and a prostitute, I would still love her and take care of her. Of course. Now, people, when they say that, I, I, I become estranged. Now, I don't know if the parents dropped the ball, but as you go through life... At 61, I didn't think the same as 25, but my morals became more. Mm-hmm. And I have young children out there and uh, to help with the gambling because they, they are going to produce, not that it's legal, there's a, the people with the addictive gene can be destroyed. Yeah, you uh, you know, you know, obviously talk about your father a lot, how he how he get, instilled a lot of good morals, a lot of good sayings in you. And I remember I was watching you on, on one another interview, and I like the one, the one quote that your father told you, I think it was uh, – a bum can kill anybody, but a king can save somebody? Any, bu- any bum could kill a life. Only a king could save one. And he says, in this world, you could give anything back. If you rob, you could give the money back. If you have a fight, the people will heal. You say something nasty, you could say, I'm sorry. But when you take a life, you can't give that back. Mm. Well, if it comes to that point, and, and he did take lives in World War II, and uh, some other things that I completely agree with. But 
He said, when you take a life, it's not the person that you're hurting. It's the people they love, their parents, their children. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're good to an elderly person. Even if they have a pet, that's who you're torturing also. Mm -hmm. So be pretty sure that what you're doing is the right thing. So, gr so growing up, you know. By the way, you can light your cigar whenever, whenever you'd like. Uh... Well, I'm not very interested in lighting the cigar because I'm going to tell you why. You sent me two cigars because the mail is slow. I advise you to do that because they probably get lost. But uh, I, I test things out at the young at heart. They're more honest. Uh, plus, my son snatches everything. I had to hide this one. Yeah, Otherwise, yeah. He's smoking it. So I'm looking forward to it. You got a very good review because they like to smoke cigars. And they do a lot. They, they, they told me the leaf is very nice. The drawer is good. Great. It burns well. It has a nice taste. The ash, you know, all the things you would think of a cigar that I haven't smoked in a while. So... This is kind of like a first-time toast to you and your show. Wow. Well, God th bless. Well, thank, thank you, you very much. And thank you to your to your son for uh, for the kind words and for the great review of, of the cigar. Um, yeah. we, that we put a lot of lot of hard work in it. We put two years of, of tasting and band design and box design and more tasting and more tasting and more tasting. Um, so, you know, going, going back to what you said. About I compliment your cigar. The, the taste is magnificent. Beautiful. Well, thank you. Thank you. The drawer is good too. We like we, we worked hard on it, so we're glad uh, we're glad you're enjoying it. it. Means a lot to us. Thank you for the cigars. Appreciate it. So I usually like to say, you know, with cigars, because what we do is we bring people together over cigars. Obviously, us right now we're smoking cigars again to know each other. But just going back about the stuff about politics and Congress, you know, I always like to say in a cigar lounge. I'm sure you've been in one political debate should be in a cigar lounge because the the conversations and the and the back and forth debates go go so much smoother and more level-headed than any other debate I've ever seen in my life. And that's just my little take on it. Do I really want political debates in in cigar lounge? No. But if there were ever have to be, I think it'd be a good idea. Well, cigars promote conversation. They're relaxed. Right. And I think that's I, I, I agree with with Eric and that too is the way that cigars promote <laughs> it <was a> big <laughs> the way that cigars, cigars would have killed me. Right. So the way that cigars promote friendly conversation, relaxed conversation, I think that debates well, would it's be a proven less fact it releases an endorphin that, that makes you relax. Right. Sure. So I think that the conversation or debates in, in, in Eric's uh, example, the political debates would be less heated and less, um, combative where it's just pointing the finger saying this person is doing because i always hate when they say this person what is doing is something wrong debate what are they debating yeah, the truth right. yeah. yeah. well yeah. that's what well, my, Who po looks my point is is i hate when i don't like when they the the, you know the, the problem with politics there's politicians yeah yeah they're crooked exactly oh I, I don't like when they when they point fingers at the other person saying this person is doing x y and z bad instead of just saying what are you going to do right yeah you know i've always said they should have a debate where you can't Point How, fingers right or wrong? How about do what you say? Right. Well, that's, that, that's, that's what I'm saying. Thing. Tell me what you're going to do and then do it. Sure. Right? Like you had mentioned in a previous, in another interview where your word is your bond. Your word is one of the, is the strongest thing you can give and you better well, you keep got. it. Right? So as a politician, if you tell me you're going to do something, you better effing do it. Don't tell me one thing, have all these people vote for you, and then do something completely different. Yeah. Do what you say you're going to do. First of all, the way I educate people on bookmaking because now I could talk about it when it was illegal. And it's a lot of myth that we hurt people. We do not. And it's a lot of myth that we take advantage of people. It would be like you poisoning your cigars. Yeah. Or so giving somebody credit and they're going to buy more cigars, you're going to break their legs. I mean, they're not going to take your cigars anymore. Yeah. It's just common sense. Right. Matter of fact, in the neighborhoods, when a bookmaker stepped out of line, 
with a customer he got hit or told. Now, you know? how did you how did you get into that whole world of bookmaking and By betting accident. again? Yeah, I'm very. I'm how, very how was that accident? I'm Let's very very. <laughs> in, I'm very interested in it because you know I've uh, I was a runner in 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 college as well. Uh, I'm a big sports better. Um, I've taken bets, you know, but. So I'm very interested in the bookmaking. How did you get into it? You said it was by accident. I heard that you kind of got into a little well, in bit of a days, pension. You, runner, you knew you needed an introduction to an office. Mm-hmm. And you had players that wanted to play. Somebody introduced you to the office. You got a code and you got a percentage which you guys came in with a red or black, usually the way it works, or a percentage of the gross, but that was usually small. And uh, so you're familiar with how the bookmaking operation is. A guy like you comes to me that was a dear friend of mine, had a sports bar, a young kid, and he wanted to get a sheet, but he was a degenerate gambler. I didn't know it. He ended up being most of his sheet. So I go down, I, I, I go with the best office I could find, and the biggest, the best lines. I did a little research, and I walked in, and I says, uh, guy says, you're Joey's son? I says, yeah, he says, give him whatever he wants. So I go back, I give him the numbers, they call in. First week, they win thirty-seven or 40000 I'm not exactly sure, but it's in the ballpark. Uh, which was, it was which money is, 1980. I was going to say, which is yeah, a lot of money back then. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but when you spread it over 20 numbers, it's true. Know, it doesn't yeah. look like that much. Yeah. So the bottom line is, I bring him the 40,000. The next week it was 20 something or maybe more. I bring it to him. The third week he loses. There's nowhere to be found. Ah. And it goes by Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So I drive to, I go to his girlfriend's house. I remember it was 1980. I just bought my nephew a 280ZX, the stick shift. Beautiful car, Carl with red interior. That was the hot car at the time for young kids. Good kid at the time I raised him. So anyway, so I knock on the door. There he is. He wasn't expecting me. I says, uh, pal, what are you doing? I paid you. Now you're going to pay the office this money. Uh, you got nothing. He says, I thought I was dealing with the big guys that's supposed to help us out. These are the guys that cause the problems. Hmm. They went big, and when it comes time to pay, they don't give you nothing. So I'm so aggravated, I'm about to lunge at him. I didn't put the car in gear. I didn't put the brake on, and I see it rolling, and it's going to the thing. So I go flying down the T-tops. Well, if I dive in, I hit the brakes. I'm sticking out, looking ridiculous. <laughs> I hit the, the, the pedal. Now I'm trying to figure out how to let off the brake because, you know, I'm built wide up here. I'm, like, stuck in this thing. <laughs> <laughs> Legs hanging I, out the top. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, I was always very wide. And uh, long story short, I, I managed my way out. By that time, I see him running through the fields. Then he calls me on a Sunday. I go to his house. He's about to put a gun. He had this ball and cap gun thing, and he was going to shoot himself with it. And I talk to him. So I go to the office, and I say, uh, listen, uh, I gambled. I didn't want to see him have a problem. It's okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. We work out a deal. He says, uh, you know, he gave us all the money, whatever his profit, uh, we could knock off, take off, whatever. But he does it again. And... How much? How much was he? How much was he down the second time? What? How much did he lose the second time? Listen, the second time he does it again. We're out of the red. I paid it off, but I did thirty thousand of my own money, and I became his partner the second or third time. I tell the story often. I can't exactly remember. Sometimes it comes to me better than others, but the second time was ninety thousand. But we had no red. You know that when they went in the office, because you mm-hmm. get back the red, you split fifty fifty out of half sheet. Right. So. The next time, the whole scenario. So anyway, I'm watching. I call him from that was in construction. I was going into the, uh, the district council. I had to spend some time as a uh, 
a shop store in the field, and I had a restaurant close to my house, nice little Victorian mansion. So I was pretty busy all the time. So he made me a partner because at this point I was vested, and I had to get my money back. So I figured I'd get it from the profits. And I said, 90000 look at this. I says, uh, uh, I give the office forty-five. We split twenty-three. I got some money coming. He'll give me a little bit of that each time we win. This is terrific. Monday goes by, Tuesday goes by, Wednesday to uh, Same scenario with this with this ball and cap. Uh, and I says, all right. So I said, this time it's not that bad. We only owe forty-five thousand. <laughs> not the whole ninety. We got to add. So I said, at least I'm relieved. I says, you know, he said, no, it's worse than that. Actually, the play is one thirty. And I lost 120 over to the spread out of the hog. Wow. So now I had to come up with the 30. Now I got it to pay the players, so there was still something, and you can't beat the players. It's wrong. It's beating the working man. It's right. horrendous. So, so he so he was actually – he did he said that he had X amount of players, but he was he actually – He had players, but – But he was, bet, he was betting on he – was, he was like 80% he was betting of – on a couple of his own numbers. Yep, yep. Because I had limits and wouldn't let people go too far. He kept opening new people. So he was opening new people, but he was yes. playing the numbers. Now, how, like, how do you deal with like all that stress? Is growing. Yeah, he's like, yeah, I got eight or nine guys. 2,500 accounts. Right. He's like, I got 25 guys, but he's 20 of them. So, right. Yeah. So how did you do, how do you deal with all that had, stress knowing you got to make all that up? What? How do you deal with all that stress knowing that like you know, you're in the red, you're in the green, you got to make up this, you got to make up that, where am I going to get it? And it's how do, stressful. Yeah, how, do, how do you deal with all that stress? <laughs> I didn't have any stress at all. I ran a great office. <laughs> well, that's that's you know, a well, that's yeah, one way. Over their head. And it, and you okay. actually so you you started on a half sheet, which yeah. is which is unheard of. Most people start on a quarter sheet, right? Yeah. So you started right off the bat half sheet. Yeah, well, when you show 20 guys with, uh, you know, it's it's a moneymaker. They're all suckers, you know. Yeah. You know, gambling. You've got your wise guys, which are smart guys that bankrupted me twice, and I went back on a half sheet when I had huge wow. businesses. Yeah. You try you, not to get the wise guys. I lost guys. a million on a Sunday. I went back on a half sheet. That was my bankroll. Yeah, wow. you don't want to get the sharps. You stay away from the sharps. That's why nowadays, oh, I, I mean. I sharks, too. Yeah, nowadays, they, li- they limit you. I mean, I've, I've been limited on accounts, too, where you go in, and if you, you know, if you beat, and they actually don't do it by, it, 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 a lot of people think that it's, you know, the, the amount best of is money. They don't tell you how much you take back on the dime line, which is 45 cents, which is ridiculous. And they'll say 180 next to the dime line with the pitcher. So they're telling you to lay 180. So you're supposed to take back 170. You get like 133. They change it for yeah. the industry. And wow. a lot, of, a lot of people, a lot of people think they 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 think that it's it has how like how much you're winning and how much you're losing. It has nothing to do with it. Is if you got a guy who's constantly beating the closing line or the line that you're getting, right? Because the lines will fluctuate because as a, you're 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 basically trying and to you know move the that business is based on the line. You're based on a line. You're trying to split the line where you get even money from both sides betting. This way, you you keep the vig, and that's it. Ten percent, five percent of your gross, and that's what you're trying to do. But you got guys that are constantly beating the line that you're given, right? Like if you open the line at plus three and they take it, but then you have to adjust it down to one and a half, and they're constantly beating the line. That's a sharp, and you you don't want those guys. The closer your opening line is to your closing line, the, the stronger the office. Yeah. What I would do after they bankrupted me twice, what I would do is I would take a big bet for them, lay it off, and power move my line. Okay. And they were straight with me because I didn't lay off too much more, and I didn't force the line to go up. Sometimes they put false lines out there to buy it back. Yeah. Well, baseball, you had the kosher boys. You had Z, who dominated. I think they found $500 million in his box in Vegas. I mean, he had beards. He had guys that did reverse sheets. 
he would give 25 to 50% for you to make bets when they won. The opposite. Were you chop up to losing? Were you uh, always good with numbers like that? Were you as a young kid? Did you just get with it? Like where did? Because like, I'm not good with numbers at all. I'm still not good with numbers. Sometimes it's a given uh, talent. Actually, I was diagnosed with a little dyslexia that I would invert them. So I worked so hard at it, I became good with everything but algebra. Wow. Okay. Well, it probably worked for you if you inverted it because the uh, a minus line is is actually a. a uh, the better line, right? Yeah. So it actually probably worked in your favor. Yeah, you see, what if a, I'm looking at the plus line. Well, yeah, I'm just saying. You know, look at the minus line is the favorite. You know, less. but because when we got in, when we got in touch with uh, Andy originally, when we were, uh, were communicating, he was like, "Yeah, he learned from Mayor Lansky," and I was like, "Oh wow, I wonder how much did he learn from? Him? Is that is that something that's <laughs> actually true?" Yeah, that's true by accident. By accident. So, now, well, so now what does that mean by accident? Well, let me finish the bookmaking story. Okay. Yeah, because I want I want to ask a question about the bookmaking story. So <laughs> no, I got to yeah, give thirty to the, the players that won, so there's still a business to pay this off. Mm-hmm. And I got to give forty five to the office. Now that's money in 1980, and you're 21 years old or 20 years old. That's money, for sure. So I'm like shaking my head. So I go to the office. Says, "Look, this is don't tell me. We already know, and we know it ain't you." He says, uh, "We'd like you to stay with us." He says, whoever you got on the phones, he's calling on all these numbers. We hear the voice. We don't hear yours. You've paid all the money. He says, listen, the 45 was profit. We know it was him. I said, it's more than that. We're going to wipe it out. We want you to stay with us. Uh, you have a talent for this, the way you handle things. You don't get out of order. That's what we like. You don't get too emotional. And, and you were loyal to the office. And you tried to cover for, you, for, you, for whoever you're dealing with. More than we would have. You're the type that we would like to do business with. And I continued until I opened my own office, and then I never looked back. And you had you had a so I want to ask because uh, you had moved you started an office right, and then uh, I think you had a site right. It was called WizardSports dot com. Was that transitioning when you know the internet age came through and you were everything was going online? Yes, right? I had the Wizard WizardSports dot com. So what was so two questions? First, what was the biggest bet that you took? Single, $1 million. Single bet, $1 million. $1 million. Did you win or lose it? Well, they laid a million to win 300000 It's possibly the only time in my life I rooted for the Boston Red Sox. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy was doubling up because it's when the Yankees won uh, uh, three in a row and they just needed the fourth. So Boston really helped me back. And they and usually when you bet the series is one game left, you bet the other way to get out of it. Mm-hmm. Safe. Nobody did that. And it was bittersweet for me because I'd never like to see the Yankees to lose because I am a fan, mm. you know. And uh, and so did so did he? Uh, did you win that bet or did he lose that bet? Now what's now? Okay, so that's the biggest Come one on. you took. What's the biggest bet you've placed? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this disclosed information. <laughs> It's well, tough let me, to count. Let me, like, let me, we'll, 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 we'll do it. We'll do it. This. If you watch the podcast, I'm educating people how to bet. Okay. So when I bet, because I don't know anything about bet, he's the betting guy. I, yeah, I, I, I don't gamble at all. I'm, I got I would no. Do is I got the, no the, nothing. The NFL uses 17 variables to set a line. You automatically give up three points for home field advantage. That's yep. how much you, how much you, they scored stuff like that. Yep. It's yep. out. So when I place a bet. That line has got to be out three to five points. I want that edge against the line that's out there. Hmm. So if you're getting, so if you're getting three to five points, not getting. So well, let's well, say the no, line I mean, is three, if it's adjusted, I evaluate it's five, or I think it should be the two the other way. 
Five is the minimum I go in. Okay. Understand? Yep. That line's got to be five points out for me, and all my variables have to come together. And when I make a bet, I'm usually, for season, sometimes my best season was 17 for 18. Consistent. So, okay, so you're only Maybe so you're, once a week. Right. So you're, sometimes so, only three times a year. So that's actually that's actually a very, very good point, too, is a lot of rookie bettors bet too much. They ha- they're betting every game on a Sunday, and that's well, not, not that, the way to do it. Betting every game on a Sunday. As they're losing, they're trying to get out. They're trying to double down. They're trying to chase, they which is— they 400, they're going to try and bet 500. It's not. You, you pick— They got out once. Right. You pick one or two games that you feel you have the advantage, and that's it. And if they're, if you lose, on to the next week. You don't chase because that's why the that's where Monday the Monday night football came in because everybody chases. That's why they close out on Tuesdays because they left yes. it mo- Monday night because everybody get wants to chase. To get them to call in and then they give them a shot to get out. They give them a shot exactly. to get out. That's why all, most books close on Tuesdays. Well, I can't gamble. It's too much it's, for me. But I, that's a very yeah, good. You don't handle stress well. <laughs> no, probably not. Not definitely not definitely not with gambling for sure. All right. All when right. I when I used to go to Atlantic City and I lose a hundred bucks. No, 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 no. So what? So what is? I'm actually very interested to listen to your to your podcast. What's the podcast called? The one that taking it's called action. taking action with Chris Colombo. Taking I subscri- action. I subscribe to it on our YouTube channel already. Oh, perfect. I got to tell you, we have interesting guests. My life has taken me in many, many directions. It's not just about gambling. It's about a lot of philosophies for the younger kids. Things that I went through, they shouldn't. And I could tell them the fine print that they should read before they do. Uh, <laughs> so. Rule number one, don't gamble with rent money. So you obviously had a, <laughs> a, an interesting way of growing up. So uh, and what were some vivid, vivid memories I as a kid? I had the best nine years a human being could have before my father got shot. And then he suffered for seven years. What were some of the best memories you can remember? Oh, forget that. Uh... I live on his home now. It was a ranch. Mm-hmm. At the time, we had 50 horses. I'm down to two. Because I was the youngest brother, so I ended up uh, uh, cleaning up a lot. And that's not fun. Mm. Did you Did uh, you race the horses? Were they race horses? Did you race no, them? No, no. He liked to ride. He rode English and he rode Western. Oh, very nice. Okay. So so tell us some of the, the, the memories I remember that you, you saying of... some, you, you woke up sometimes and you'd see like vice presidents in your living room or, or Frank Sinatra. That was or... in Brooklyn, not up here. Oh, okay. Brooklyn, uh, Brooklyn was he was more relaxed up here. It was more fun. Sure, I can imagine it's a little bit less stressful. So yeah, you really yeah. had like Frank Sinatra and Frankie Valley all in your living room when you wake up as a kid. I mean, I can't imagine. Frankie Valley actually took off when my father was in the hospital. He took him getting shot so bad, took off his tours for three months and came to the hospital every day and sat with him. Day. So Emmy Davis, Frank Sinatra went into depression because he was a manic depressant and retired and then came back. Wow. Because he couldn't do the second show that my father orchestrated for the Italian American Civil Rights League. Wow. Which is the greatest extravaganza ever put on in the biggest collection of superstars that ever wore under one roof. How did how did your father have these deep rooted connections? Like how did he become so like everyone's it sounds like everyone's really yeah, good. Yeah, it friend. sounds like he was a a, a, a people's person and just crazy. everybody loved crazy. him. He was legitimately crazy. <laughs> he would do things for people that nobody would do. I like mean, give we, us an give us an this, example. Give us an example. You want to give an example? He owned the funeral home and catering halls because he said Italians only spent money when they died and got back. <laughs> wow. Uh, so when somebody in the neighborhood died and they couldn't be buried, he would bury them and give them a top-class send-off, and we used to have to go there and mourn. Wow. I remember this kid died. I don't want to be a shut-up, he used to tell me. He so he used to, he, used to, he used to just do the whole thing for, for free for them? 
Yeah, for free. That's what he did. Wow. That's that's I, that's amazing. I can see that going a long you way. You complimented his hat. He put it on your head. Just here. Take it. It's yours. Yeah, it's the way it was. We had, it's in the paper, in the, in the Daily News or whatever. It was a guy, Vinnie Momo. His name was Momo something, but he had he was had Down syndrome. He was special. And my father had a philosophy. Women, children, elderly, handicapped, and the challenge. Not that women are a weaker sex. You should be respectful and look after so Vinnie Momo took a lot of abuse in the neighborhood until my father kind of adopted him. And under his glass desk at his, at his real estate office was a picture of me, my sister, the younger two, and Vinnie Momo. And Vinnie used to come in, and my chief of police, uh, Chief Geary, was our captain in Brooklyn. Straight shooter, good guy. I loved him. And he had a sister-in-law that was special. So this guy, Vinnie Momo, the cops gave him the uniform, Everything but the gun, and it looked real. And he'd be giving out tickets, shaking you down, yelling at you. Uh, wow. Wow. He'd go to the dealership, my father, dealership. My father was involved, he dressed as a detective, put him against the wall, shake him down. Everybody had to go along with it. And then originally when my father was giving him money, the kids, younger kids used to take it from him. You know, they could be abusive. He put an end to that. So Vinny Momo had a tab anywhere in Brooklyn. He'd go in and send the, send the, send the bill to the boss. And he took care of his sister, who was special, and his parents weren't doing all that well. So my father, and when Vinnie Momo used to disappear, you had 200 guys out looking for him. He wow. was worried. Wow. So I never forget, people that are, that are special like that, if you challenge them or get nasty when they hit themselves, they, they panic. Mm -hmm. And they even defecate. It's really sad. So a deli opens up under the L in Brooklyn in between my father's office and where the funeral home is. It was a big shopping area. Naturally, he walked in. And my father let him go to the tailor. He'd have Superman costumes made, Batman, whatever he wanted, he got. And I was scared to death of Vinnie Momo because he was jealous. I was used to grab my leg and yell at me with that face, you know. So Vinnie Momo wasn't my first person to be around until <laughs> I got older. And then I, I looked after him also. Wow. Right, of course. But wherever Vinnie Momo, his sister went, and my father used to, used to pay their rent. And uh, there were guys that were in charge of watching Vinnie Momo. I mean, he took it to a... So that's what he believed in. His own son, basically. Yeah. Said, listen, take care of this kid. Make sure that... You know. Yeah, for the grace of God, go out, he used to say. And, you know, and and uh, people serve power. Power doesn't serve people. And you're only as good as your last deed, he used to tell me. When he died, the police department gave him a captain's burial. They paid wow. for it. He had the horse, the 21-gun salute. That's how beloved he became. Wow. 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 If the article's in the Daily News of one of them, you could Google it. For sure. No, I uh, what I was trying to say before, because your your father's obviously very powerful and influential. So I've always well, said ten most powerful men in America, New York Magazine. Yeah, and I feel like that's how it was back in like the early or the mid nineteen hundreds, nineteen fifties. Yeah, come on, I think. <laughs> I, delight me. No, no, no I just from from what I read and what I saw, you know, because I, I was a man is a man in any era. Yeah, right. We're evolutionary, not revolutionary. Because I what I was trying to say is just I feel like. You know, as things progress throughout, almost closer to the 2000s, a lot of that, a lot of that closeness, family, uh, loyalty, you know, respect, that kind of fell off to the wayside. I felt like a lot more people got selfish. Yeah, that's that's I'm trying. That's exactly which is you know which is what we we talk about. I mean, there's you see a lot of the the disrespect and the the way that society idolizes the wrong people in my opinion 
Um, that's what I'm here to try and stop. Right, yeah. and I and I think it comes back I to say one kid, it's worth it. Right, to yeah. what you're saying is is it's the family, right? I want to say, okay, if this person's going off the rails, right? This this young adult or this child is is going off of the rails. Where's his father? Yeah. Where's his mother or her? Right. What because does the family look like? From their family breaking down. Right, and it's like where you tra- trace it back, and they say, "Oh, it wasn't around." Okay, trace it back to what to the grandparents or the, the great grand. Like, where did the family unit break down? Because I guarantee there was at some point the family unit broke down. Father had I, left, I, or mother I had tell left. You my or, theory, you know, women's lib is probably the worst thing that happened to women that wanted to be stay home mothers. Women's what? Lib. Women's lib. What's that? I'm not, I'm not, what is that? I'm, it was a big thing. Women couldn't smoke. They didn't want them to vote. Women's lib. Okay. Whatever. So they did some good, but now it allowed them to get jobs, but they cut the man's jobs, pay low to give two jobs. Mm. So it hurt in a lot of areas, but it helped in some. But I'm going to tell you something. I went through a divorce, and my kids called me a mom, dad. I stabilized them because of all my nonsense. I have a lot of guilt from it. I never expected to beat my case. 71 counts of federal trial. It spanned. They made me wait three years to arrest me, and then uh, with a lot of harassment tactics. And then five years under serious house arrest. And then they took me to trial for seven months. I beat every count except I was hung 11 to one of my favor. They made me wait another year. Wow. And then they made me wait for sentencing. So that's 11 years. Justice delayed is justice denied. What was, uh, you know, how did you go through that whole situation? Because I remember you saying, I think this is what you're talking about. At one point, your whole family got indicted. And it was that, was... that was in 85. Back was in 85. Only- okay. Because I, I wanted to ask you, because I know you said at one point, all your brothers and all your family was in jail, and you were the only one out, and you were taking responsibility for everyone's wife, everyone's kid, everyone's mother, father. I did father. What was needed in each area. Yeah. It actually helped me as a father. And what I told the kids is you could get another house, another car. we got to get through this, but I can't replace a kid. Yeah. So you got to listen to me. So how, how did you manage all that? How did you manage all that, those emotions, you know, taking care of everyone's needs? I was always the bad guy. Me, that, what does that mean? It was always my fault. Their successes were their parents, their failures were mine. Even though you were taking care of them, why why some Did of the their the best I could. And gambling actually opened that avenue to help me. Mm. So you were so you were essentially providing for you know Most like three or four families with three or four, five, six people. Stayed for my mother and my sister, the same way my father was. Yeah. His father was assassinated also. Wow. I mean that I that that's a lot of responsibility. Yeah. Well, like you said, that you know, that's um, that's more of a lesson. True family values that was instilled by so, my father got me through. And, and you're and now, and now you you're trying to instill those values in in the younger generation, which is why you said you're you know you're doing these podcasts and what you're saying. If you can help one child to yeah. direct well, them on the path of thousand underprivileged kids each year, he really gave the people what, what they needed. Yeah. So, so what are you? What are you? What sorts of things are you doing? Is it is it just podcasting? Are you doing other things to try to help out? Uh, I had a very bad tussle with Lyme disease. I had double hip replacement. I was blind for seven years. I have neurological Lyme, and when I'm detected, I locked up on my hammock court like the Tin Man. Uh, I was oh, infirmed. Geez. I was blind. I was deaf. Uh, I was given six months to live in 1998. I died three times. Once recently, again, I had a tick in me for eight months. I didn't realize it. Uh. I had three strokes, uh, Bell's palsy, large heart, hypothyroidism, uh, name it. I, and then I, I built up uh, aphylactic shock to the only known cure for it. Wow. So I died twice that day and had a dream I died. Told the doctor he thought I was crazy. Then he gave me the shot. He said I was right. And 
It was actually funny because I'm dying and laughing saying, I told you so. <laughs> and I was so disgusted at that point, I told him, don't revive me. Uh-huh. But he's going to call an ambulance. I says, you dummy. I says, the ambulance takes you to the doctor. I'm already here. What, are they going to drive me around the block to take me to the undertaker? <laughs> so so I, you, di- you you said you died twice. I mean, was that was that an experience you can remember or any kind of feelings? Well, that you- we had a dream that happened. So what was what was that like? God calls you an idiot. Did you see my dream? I told him, Lord hates a coward. You're the big guy. What am I supposed to do? Run away? Yeah. So you had wow. said you had said wow. that you you actually had met God when you died twice. What was that experience like? Seeing without seeing, feeling, hearing without hearing, talking without talking. It's an exchange of energy. When people say it's white, you have that feeling of here. It's just light. The exchange of energy. I actually made him laugh a couple of times. Call me an idiot. Well, you actually <laughs> said that la- laughter is the medis- medicine for the soul. Medicine for the soul, yeah. yeah right? well, God's laughing. It is my soul, so it's got to be medicine. <laughs> that's so funny. That's actually that's like, good. You made him laugh. It's medicine for the soul, and, and you came back to life. Yeah, they hit me with the paddles. I woke up. Uh, I, I never forget when I, when, I, when I went down. Actually, it looked like I was looking down into one of those globes you shake. Mm-hmm. And there it was. It looked like a blip of water when I came out. It was just the feeling I got. I thought it was you're losing your senses. I think it's sensory, sensory deprivation. Like a sensory deprivation tank. It's almost recreating the amniotic womb. Wow. Very mm-hmm. safe feeling. No wow. worries, no everything, but there's no food there. <laughs> <laughs> no food there. Or cigars, so you better buy these cigars quick. They're good. I, yeah, listen, if there's no cigars in heaven, I don't know if I want to go, man. <laughs> okay. I, what are you afraid? The Lord hates a coward. So anyway. The Lord hates a coward. All right. He's gonna greet he's gonna greet me with a with a stogie in hand. Say, come on, I got the best shit in here. Well you come through these gates, I, I got the best shit that, in here. Nice job. But anyway. Yeah, maybe he might yeah, he might I got the best stuff. Okay, I got the best stuff in here. He won't. Hey, it's really an Rastafarian. He gives you good stuff. <laughs> I guess he's what you want him to be. But to me, it's what I needed to continue. Yeah, I had given up at that point. And I had the double hip surgery. I made at the time, I had uh, uh, anterior bilateral double hip replacement at once. I didn't even know it was my hips. The doctors appeared, diagnosed me with sciatic, and had me doing a stupid plant, this peanut stretch, taking Celebrex, wow. which almost killed my heart. And my son had a congenital hip disease. I brought him to the best. Me, I go to the vet. That's going to be really expensive. I spend more money on my dog than me. So what? So from that moment on, what have you done um, differently? Have you done anything differently? Have you changed no, anything? I, I, I had one other time before that. I just uh, gave people another shot again. Because when you go on trial for your life, and I even put a line out of my sentencing under and over. Yeah, I think it was two years, right? Yeah, that was the yeah, because my, my guidelines are 56 months. So you see your I, real I friends, how, how high or how low they, they really I, give I admitted everything I did. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't allocute, but I had my lawyer do an opening statement saying, Mark, guilty for that. Hmm. We're not even arguing. Now, was it, was, because, uh, you know, you said your father never wanted you or any of your family members to be a part of what he was doing. You know? Well, I didn't know what he was doing, but he didn't want us to be a part of what uh, people said he was doing. Okay. And... So I'm not easy to corner. Go ahead. No, no, that's perfectly fine. That's this is this is why I love it. But uh, so I mean, what was it about the difference between you and your brothers? Everybody has their own gifts, and society inhibits that by thinking you should cert- act a certain way. I believe God gives you what you need to flourish. At IBM, you got to wear a yellow tie. Have a certain protocol. Why does a CEO have to act this way? Why does a police have to act this way? Can't we all act honestly and be nice? And respect should be mandated mutually. Yeah, give respect to get respect. 
I don't do it to get it. I give it because that's what it, that's the well. Right it's thing. the right thing to do, right? But you know, the, to the that's point of intrinsic value, right? Is is it, you should just you should naturally give respect to other people, mm. and they should naturally give respect to you. There were three things that were off limits with my father. If you didn't tell him the truth, he couldn't help you, and if you didn't show respect, there was a problem. Me, I never got in. I told him the truth, but I was respectful. But if it came to right now, my brothers had just said nothing, just like that. So it was real simple for me. I knew the rules. And the other thing was drugs were not negotiable. Sure. Well, your father, yeah, you said your father never never touched him. So I, naturally you said it's off limits. That's... It's like hitting yourself in the head with a brick. Unexpensive. <laughs> you, I think you, I think you were saying too, and it's and it's you're with your kids as well, but when you, your father didn't yell, but when you when the, he yelled, you guys laughed. But when he gave you a look, you guys were scared. And I think you said it's the same with your father your kids. father was that way too. When he was yelling because he cared, the same with me. Okay. If I'm really mad, I'm quiet. Yeah, that's usually the case. You know, I usually, you know, my father doesn't yell either, but usually he just gives it the eyes or just. A neurological you- line when it's bad, they they cause uh, they get between the neurons and the synapses to fire the spirochete. Mm. You got that problem that you have to move around it. Then when you kill it, you have black holes where they were, and you got to regrow them. Mm-hmm. So when the brain heats up when you get mad or aggravated. You know, you scream like you got Tourette's. And it's entertaining if you get to know me because the kids laugh. Do you remember what you said? One time a guy, I called him a car pedophile because he captured my car. It took him 10 years to paint it. An antique car. <laughs> a car pedophile. All right, that's the first said, one. You know what you are? And I was screaming and it broke the spell because everybody around me was laughing, including him. We became great friends. But it took him 22 years to finish my car. 22 years? How does that happen? You know what it was? He heard the name, and he was a perfectionist. He was an ex-DJ, probably the best car painter in the world. And I, I, I collect Damon Runyon characters for some reason. And he was such a perfectionist. He tried to get it so right that he keeps starting over. It was a 79 Silver Anniversary Edition Trans Am, and, and it was a lot of work. So his excuse was I made him nervous. Made so, him nervous. So okay. you made him so nervous it took him 22 years. Yeah. That's, that's Actually, a, that's I think he thought time. I was going to for the rest of my life and then rushed it when it didn't happen. Oh, wow. Did, wow. And did you ever go to jail? Yeah, sure. How long did you, How long were you in jail for? I think close to two years. But my judge, I was in a camp, and she took away organized crime because she didn't find any violence. So, so I could go to a camp. And then they were sending me to uh, – because I got friendly with the guys that checked the bracelet and pre-trial that works for the judge. Right. I mean, five years, I was like around the cool water cooler talking about the gossip in the office, right? <laughs> And uh, they called me up and says, Chris, and she insisted I go right here to Otisville. So she gave me a year and a day, but allowed you to have good time. She gave me a year. I served the full year. So she helped me. She's, she's the reason I gave up crime or even any form of it, because uh, when you save a life, I believe the karma goes back to the person what you do with it. She deserves good karma. Mm-hmm. She was tough. She was fair. And you couldn't buffalo her. Mm-hmm. And she called it the way she saw it. And she believed, even though I, I, I uh, uh, bookmaking is not a violent crime, and I did it right, and all that, but the amount of time that I did it for, hmm. I didn't see that. And then everybody felt she put me in jail. I made a TV show called House Arrest, making fun of my uh, things. So I'm not done as almost a crime, but that show they made me a communications threat. I mean, I don't understand how eating a lobster roll and getting a, a suit could be against national security, but all right, I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> so you made, yeah, so I, I, I saw a little bit of that. So you, it was like an episode or two, and the judge was like, I had not five. having it. John Albert was coming on. Sheila Nevins actually was the one that found it. 
and she said I was a good man and she was going to help make this show and she liked me and one of my charities is Children's with Tourette's and I took a table but I couldn't go and she had just did that film I Got Tourette's Tourette's Doesn't Have Me and it was for all the kids that starred in it and she went to my judge and I wasn't allowed out I could only go for medical medical religious or lawyer and I have to get approved to go by pre-trial it had to be approved by the prosecution go past the judge I couldn't even go out my store to have a cigarette or walk my kids to the thing then she went to where the judge was, Sheila Evans, the most powerful woman in broadcasting, I think 21 to 26 Oscars, 31 Emmys, I don't know many Peabody's, and I think a Nobel Peace Prize. Wow. So John Albert's going to be on the show. He's similar, and uh, he was the guy, the cameraman and everything. So she went to the judge and asked the judge, could she parole her to her custody for the evening for the benefit? So the History Channel just gave me an interview. I got annoyed with them at one point. I'll show it. But anyway, I, I took a I took a, a, a Tourette's, a.k.a. A Lyme fit. This guy asked me that I hate my grandfather, uh, which is unfathomable. I mean, these are not words we use. At that point, I think the judge started looking at me differently when you have the most powerful woman and in, 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 as a, uh, a judge and a very powerful one, a very smart one and a very strong one, see the most powerful woman in broadcasting, you know, putting me in her custody. Mm. So, so, tell us what jail was like, because you said you didn't go to, to. Well, the camp was easy, but it was free movement. It was everything. But how they screwed me was they let me out of there four months, and you have to be in there six months to qualify halfway house. So I had to live in the halfway house, get picked up in the Bronx, travel up here to a job, work because it was a distance. Everybody else had to be back by nine. Then you had to go home on weekends, and they called every five minutes, destroyed your family. So I stayed home for Christmas, violated, and then I had to do the full time mm. because I couldn't do that to my family. And I'd rather be in, but then they sent me to a penitentiary through diesel therapy. And to be a guy with hardly no time around guys that are never coming home and to have a name, people challenge you, there's check-in moves, they hit you like they hit John Gotti, just to be transferred and be in places where there are no Italians and, and they could reign. So a foreman's were after you, but it was, it, was, it was jail. It's a predatory environment. So, so did you have any, uh, I guess for lack of a better term, memorable moments that somebody had challenged you or you had to defend yourself or? Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you this. Uh, Jail was very surrogated, very racist. I was not. So I got along with everybody as long as they were in authority. So I could go on any court, any table. You know, they, they liked me. Mm-hmm. The ones that were normal. The older guys stabilized the things the guys doing a lot of time are very secure in their place. They want to make it a good place. They don't want problems. And Italians don't hang paper. They don't report to guards. You know, Italians don't run and complain to people. As an ethnic group, that's why uh, we get the dirty end of the stick. We don't come together to protest peacefully like my fathers showed him to do. That's why he was our leader and unite to help other ethnic groups. And he merged with the blacks and the Jews. And that's another story for another day. But. The problem one guy, and he blindsided me when I walked in the unit. Big guy, some other guy's an ethnic group, I don't want to mention it. Not black, not Spanish. And I'm going like, I'm making like I didn't get hit because you go to the hole. It's like, right, I'm saying, let's go to the cell, I'll fight you. I'm, I'm whispering to him, come on. And he kept hitting me. So then when he called me the C word, then I got mad and I went to work. Oh, wow. And I thought I lost the fight until they showed it to me. So now they shut down the whole compound for me. And they're taking me to the hole. They got me shackled up. My eyes like this. My nose is broken. And I fought for quite a few guys for quite a period of time. 
And then they hit the goon squad. They lock the whole place down. They rush in with the, the shields, the mast, the, the mace, the bats, whatever, the tasers. And they put me in a hole, and they put me in the hole with a black gentleman, Curtis. And we got really close, Curtis, but they put me there because they thought he was going to clip me. But Curtis was about six foot nine. Uh, I think he killed 15 people on the street, two guys in there, and broke up the guard's back. Jeez. I walked in. He had dreadlocks down to his ankles, two gold teeth, and he was looking at me when I walked in. So I look at him and say, oh, shit. So I just fought. I'm exhausted. I'm walking in these stupid shackles. I says, I, I don't know how to fight in the hole. I says, but I'm close. I can do good. I don't know if I have the energy for this. I didn't know what to do. So, you know when your nose gets from getting broken, all that mucus and blood? Sure. Yeah. Right. And I wiped it on his thing, all the stuff. And I said, I'm going to bed. Wake me up in the morning. I just laid down. I figured if it kills me, it kills me. So I wake up and I'm looking at him. And he looked like Predator. You know, he says, what the F are you? <laughs> That's what he looked like with the dreadlocks. So he's looking at me like a puppy, you know. So I look at him. I says, what are you looking at? He didn't say a word. I says, uh, I says, listen, they took my uh, commissary, my calls, my visits to 2020. At the time, it's 2010 or 11. Wow. I says, because uh, of this fight. Because I wouldn't admit there was a fight, even though it was on camera. I said, I don't know what happened. I didn't fight. They didn't fight. You know? And I said, well, here's the video. That's how I knew I did pretty good in the fight. When it was being... I, thought I thought I got my head kicked in. And I have a movement that's a uh, short reach. That's a, that's a, I'm very good with my hands. But anyway, it's like a bicycle move. Sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's like hitting the fast bag. Yeah, so yeah, I hit the speed bag. Short. I says, get over there and write my sister a letter. Let her know I'm in the hole so she doesn't worry about it. I can't contact her. She says, you expect me to write some letters? No, I'm telling you, though. This is mandatory. You got to do this. Why should she worry? And he said at the bottom, P.S., why did your brother write a booger, uh, rub a booger on me? <laughs> he wrote that. <laughs> the guy in jail, they thought they were eating up. So they're watching me, and I'm playing. We put up a, a sheet, like a string, and we're playing volleyball because it's very boring in the hole. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're making things, and we're laughing, and we're doing puzzles. And uh, he was on the gate crying when I left. He missed me. He says, I could do the rest of my 39 years like a breeze if you stay. Thanks, but I got to go. So you wow. made so so what they thought was going to be like the end of your days. You made you made a best friend. Yeah, I mean the guy was not a bad guy. I mean you know I mean he repented for what he did, but he was still capable. You know? Yeah, I mean he's, you know, up. that's a big guy, six nine. You know six nine. I'm assuming he's you know two hundred fifty plus six nine. You know in jail. You know you got perfect sleep. You can eat the right way. It's perfect for training. That's all you do is train all day, yeah. right? So that's it. So actually, so this actually brings up a. Um, a, a, a good topic. So, speaking of, of training, you actually were a power lifter at one point. I mean, you're. A- I, I, I train motivational speaking. I train. Uh, well, you can ask Anthony. Uh, I trained uh, uh, for, for brokerage houses. I was a stockbroker. That's when it went bad in '86. That's even powered my bookmaking even more because I looked at it from a number. And my, my, my forte was I started out as purchases and sales. The, the ledger book to keep it flat, the same thing you'd want to do in bookmaking. Yep. And didn't have computers then when I went over. You know what I mean? Yeah. So how did you get into the into the uh, the powerlifting? What kind of what started you into powerlifting? Oh, it started me into powerlifting. You know, because not many people know about you know about power squat, bench, deadlift. Just lift as much weight as you possibly can, and it's not so Probably much one about of the best weight trainers you're going to find. And I'll tell you who taught me and how I started lifting weights. Uh. 198 weight, uh, I uh, benched 476, and you got to hold it on your chest for a clap. I I either squatted 750 or deadlifted 750 and squatted 775, I can't remember. 
That's the powerlifting is squat, deadlifting, and, and yeah. bench. I wrote here, dead, best deadlift was 775. I think that's a re- my read from one of your articles. But I was drug-free. There's guys that do more. But I trained in supporting muscles with heavy weights and and uh, uh, ligaments in your tendons. I work out in my sauna at, uh, what do we work out? Like uh, 180 degrees with six pounds in each hand because oh, wow. uh, no impact on the joints. You work out with your sons? Yeah, he's a monster now. He thinks he knows everything. <laughs> Powerlifting, to answer your question, I was venting my anger. I had a lot of anger. I, I went to the gym and I started up again. Because with the Lyme, they gave me a lot of prednisone, which blew me up. And bicillin and uh, RNA growth hormones, uh, seven oral antibiotics. It was a 10-month protocol. Uh, I don't know if I'm all right, but I drew my line in the sand. I couldn't take the rosefrin because I still have a, I was still allergic to it. Uh, the athletic shock is still there. I uh, I drew my line in the sand. It was very bad this time around. I didn't think I was going to make it. Mm-hmm. Doctor said pray. And uh, we tried to buy cillin, and it's a, it's a horse needle, and it goes, it comes out like oatmeal in the needle, and you got to boil it till it's like glue. And that two minutes in each cheek that you take, and it's like this much, is the most agonizing pain. Not even the double hip replacement or the therapy. And I walked out three days afterwards. Third morning, I walked out of double hip replacement. Doctor thought I was crazy. I had the best. Doctor Jose Rodriguez. He was Hawkeye Mash in Afghanistan. And that's why he's furthered it. And, uh, and, uh, We've got a great friendship from that. And now, from doing me 10 years ago, everybody's coming out of it in three days. So mm-hmm. I actually changed medicine from outlook. That's, that's, that's incredible because three days, I mean, most people are in there for extensive period of time trying to. Yeah, they said minimum is 10 days in the hospital. Yeah. Two weeks and eight. I was going through a divorce and my ex was looking to take the kids. She put in papers. I was trying to climb out of the bed right after the surgery to make the kids leave. <laughs> You're like, screw this. I need to get out of here. <laughs> I don't care about the 10 days. I'm walk- I'm getting out of here now. <laughs> the doctor tells me, he says, I told you you could go home, but I've never seen it. I says, why does it have to be a week? And he had a 10 days and two weeks. I don't know. He says, well, you got to walk around the hospital floor twice. He says, you go up these stairs and there's a platform and down with, with your crutches or your walker. He says, and uh, that's what you have to do. It takes seven to ten days. I said, I'll do it tomorrow morning. I says, why the two weeks in Helen Hayes? He says, uh, okay. He says, uh, you have to be able to get out of the bed without the thing. You've got to be able to sit yourself because, you know, you can't bend. You put the commode over in a hole over the toilet, be able to take a shower, shave, and help yourself uh, alone. I said, I'll do that the second day. He says, I've never seen it. If you do it, I'll discharge you. I was seeing stars because the, the ether is still in you. I mean, I went bad for my puke that I didn't want to mow. Uh, but you he did it. Back, he says to me, he says, listen, you might have to stay another week. I says, well, why is that? He says, they don't have people that come to your house in the area. Like, I don't need them. <laughs> says, yeah, this was at Lenox Hill. He's now with the hospital for Cessary, Dr. Jose Rodriguez, knees and hips. The guy, the hands of God are in. I like to say it was all me. And he said, I was so thick. My hands disintegrated, but he had to send for a sawzall. He was sitting on my chest. He was, <laughs> he was sweating. It took him nine and a half hours. I lost two pints of blood. I guess uh, he says, I'm built like an ant at all. The silverback gorilla is my head statues. There's my uh, spirit animal. Right <laughs> so so uh, anyway, he says to me, he says, you've got to stay at least a week or two weeks because, you know, you can't get in a car and then now they go every day for physical therapy. I says, Doc, 
I says, I got my pickup truck outside. The guy's just ransacked your extra stuff. I'll bring it back. I'm ready for that. I rehab at home. He left his heart. He left whatever he called off and he discharged me. And then when I walked in a week later to your first visit without a cane and without a thing, I, I got like a standing ovation. But now they're doing it for everybody. I could do it. They could do it. Yeah. You know, the amount of pleasure you could take is the amount of pain you could take. If you can take that much pain, you can take that much pleasure and vice versa. That's a, that's that's a good way. To, that's a good way to look at it. Yeah. The amount of pleasure you can take, the amount of pain you can take. I mean, the, the the body. I've I've heard a lot of, I've read and listened to a lot of of stories of people that have put themselves through, you know, agonizing where, where people said you can't take that much, you can't do this, you can't do that, and they said, watch me, mm. and you know, and, and they go through it. I mean, case in point, there's a gentleman, David Goggins. I'm sure you've heard of who who. You know, had run had run a hundred miles. They said, "You want to go into this race? You have to run a hundred miles." And he goes, "I've never run that in my life, but I'm going to do it." And he said he couldn't even feel oh, his yeah, feet. Yeah, shrug twelve hundred pounds. And you're gonna and you do it. You're like, listen, you tell me I can't do something. It just makes me want to do it and do it more. Just the same thing we started the show off. We said people want what they can't have. If you tell me I can't do something, it makes me want to do it more. Yeah. And it makes I me can wanna, hang out with you. It makes me want to prove you wrong. Yeah, I can hang out with you. <laughs> well, that's what we're doing right now. And hopefully next time we do this, we'll hang out in person instead of. Over Everyone, Zoom, you can but... film it in person too if it helps. We'd love to do it in person. It's always it's always better in person. It's almost it's almost like the 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 most motivating thing that you can tell somebody is that they can't do something, right? If they have the fire the in most them. Motivating person. I don't use the words can't. I don't use any negatives. So I I I lift the way I move. Like when I box, my curls are this way. Follow me. I I went back to the gym recently. I think he's got the video. I, I curled 120 pounds with each hand. Follow me? So yeah. I lift the way I move. A lot of people inhibit themselves, and I do full stretch, full extension, but not lock out, which will hurt the ligament and tendons mm-hmm. and the joints. So there's a philosophy and a science to that, too. I trained with Nick Cali. That's how I got really good. I originally trained a guy, Mickey O'Brien, was a friend of mine. Later on, I dated his daughter. He was a teamster. He was a mad dog, a uh, uh, Marine, Area 51. He represented the United States in Pan Am Games. He's the one that introduced me to Floyd Patterson, uh, who taught me how to box. But I have a very short reach, which uh, is why you're good. You're good when you get inside, right? Yes. If I get inside, you're finished. I have the most pound per square inch from a six inch, eight inch punch than anybody on the planet. Because wow. my full force is there, and I know how to use it. You got so you so you like to get inside. So you like to get what? up in. You like to get up in there. Get inside. I know space got this way. I took a lot of pain. <laughs> well, that's that's another thing too. Is you know, I never started a fight, and I let them throw the first punch. There's there's you know that's you know, there's the risk reward with that, right? Mm-hmm. You get inside, you get a couple hits in there going down, but you I also only need one. you also you know throw you you put superstructure houses. You put your body, and that's why you said you know get you're gonna if well, you're up on the inside, throw a haymaker and connect, and you don't connect that often. My haymaker's only this far away. Yeah. Well, that's why I said, like, listen, it doesn't doesn't matter who you are. You get one shot, anybody can go down. The bigger they are, the harder they fall, you know. But there was um, – It's easier to punch down. It is, it's easier to punch up than it is to punch down. Mm-hmm. And I'm level to their core. Mm-hmm. Weightlifting is to work on your weak spots, your weak muscles. Mm-hmm. Like, this is the ring finger because it's the most uncoordinated, uncoordinated part of the body and only strength. Yeah, as I could break your nose with that, and then I worked on my solar plexus. You can't win to me. In the beginning of our conversation, when I was doing my introduction, you mentioned the word that I said. Sure. Is you know we don't really say it. 
So I do have to ask because I've. I don't empower negativity. Oh, that's this is this has nothing to do with negativity. I, I think no, this is actually this is uh, going off a, with the a, Godfather. A positive thing because you have the El Padrino poster in the back. You know, yes. I've always I've always heard, read, saw that your father was one of the people that met who was it Francis Coppola and said to take that word out. No, what happened was he shut them down through the unions of the Italian American Civil Rights League. And the truth that they don't tell in the offer, and Al Ruddy's offer is rocker. It's one of the reasons I'm doing the podcast. He came to bribe my father. He brought a half a million dollars. Who who, who tried to bribe your father? Al Ruddy. Okay. He was, he was the Godfather. Mm-hmm. So my father says, uh, 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 if you read Peter Bart's article, nothing in the offer is true. He was there on the Paramount set. He was the vice president of production. The president was Bob Evans. Mm. And Al Ruddy was just out of his mind when he did. So he comes and meets my father at the Park Sheridan Hotel, which is the Italian American Civil Rights League headquarters. And in 1970, a half a million dollars is money. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Gives him the money. He says, take your money, bring the script. He says, as long as you don't use that M word and you, you don't make Italians look bad or any other ethnic group, I will help you make the movie. And he did. And he helped him make The French Connection. And uh, I was in that movie, by the way, uh, because the Italian American Civil Rights League had a hockey team. And uh, I remember going to Al Ruddy's office when he did the casting. My father liked Al Ruddy. If he knew he was going to turn out to be a jerk, I don't think he would have liked him so much. And historically, everything in that movie is a blatant lie. And they portrayed him terribly. And that's one of the things, the point I get across. Right now, as you're alive, anything I could do, I, if I don't tell the truth, I'm liable. Hmm. But once you die, I can paint you any way you want. They've done it to law enforcement. They've done it to everybody. Uh, the Godfather home, inaccurate. Uh, I had my father, of course, between Dom DeLuise and Quasimodo, talked like Ratso Rizzo, the Midnight Cowboy. I mean, it's <laughs> ridiculous. And he was very articulate and meticulous about his ways and his ethics and his morals. One scene, they have him calling uh, Mickey Cohen to come shoot it out ready. Mickey Cohen was an Alcatraz. I mean, it, it doesn't yeah, make sense. Yeah. Yeah, well, what do you think the, the, the uh, what's the word? The... Uh infatuation with the media and the Hollywood of just painting it one way, like Justin was kind of saying, you know. A lot of, lot of the scenes of Godfather are true and based on true stories. And my father loved the book, and he loved the movie. He didn't get to see it, but when he saw a shot of it, and he helped them get Al Pacino. They had Ryan O'Neill playing Sonny. would have been disastrous. But Paramount pulled out uh, uh, the first $100 million film in 15 cents a copy. That That's tough to build. Uh, yeah. That was Love Story, and that was with Ryan O'Neill and I believe Ali McGraw, who buried Bob Evans. And Peter Bart does, uh, does uh, uh, a column, uh, and uh, he was there, and he says the guy's living on an island somewhere. And he did that one thing, and my father told him, keep the money, helped him make the movie, went on to be successful. Everybody loved it. Nobody had a problem with it, but we eliminated that M-word. Yeah. Hey, what, did, what was your father's enrollment? What was he doing that helped produce the movie? Was he just giving guidance? Oh, he got him Al Pacino. He got him James Conn. He got him Flat Clemenza. Oh, so uh, he was helping with the casting. He helped him with the casting to make it authentic. Yes. And, uh, I, who was it? Uh, was it Sonny? Was uh, some somebody had said that uh, if he's not in the movie, then we're not going to make the movie. Yeah. Something like that. He was a friend of your father's. I forgot his name. I watched his interview. He was uh, Johnny Russo. Johnny Russo. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Johnny Russo has been merchandising that forever. <laughs> yeah. Is that true? I, I Johnny. He's a friend of mine. But uh, he could really—he's lived off the Godfather long. <laughs> so, so, so is—is is the story true? 
where he said like if he's not if Johnny's not in the movie, then we're not doing a movie. I have no problem with Johnny Russo as the part and whatsoever. Abe Vigoda came from my neighborhood. He played the part of uh, Tessio well. Uh, the original people they only had was uh, Crazy Marlon Brando, mm-hmm. uh, which did, did a very good job. I yeah, he think. actually wore a he wore a mouthpiece that whole movie, right? Yeah, I never understood the reason for that. I didn't ever. I never got it either. Like, what? I I, I was going to ask you if, what your thought about that was because I. I didn't see a reason for, why are you going to make him like, you know. Marlon Brando, I don't know. Marlon Brando. (laughs) And I think that mouthpiece recently sold. Turned down an Oscar for saying, I don't know what he does. I mean, you know, it's like trying to figure out the... I don't know. I couldn't tell you. Although, I mean, it's it's iconic. I mean, when you go, I give him something, you know, make him an offer he can't refuse. Like, it's an iconic scene, and everybody yeah. knows that scene, but it wouldn't have happened if he, he's wearing a mouthpiece. Maybe, they, maybe big... they saw something that no one else yeah. did. It was a security blanket for him in that role. Yeah. Yeah. Could be. You know, he delivered a fantastic role, so. So I do you think of a, so you had said that The Godfather was inaccurate in a lot of ways. Not The Godfather. The, the offer. The making of the Godfather. Oh, the show. oh, yeah, I've never oh, seen oh, that okay. show. Okay. The Godfather was his, his. Actually, made Italians act better. It wasn't demeaning. Okay, so I I, I misunderstood. So the offer was inaccurate, but the movie itself was a good movie. Some of the content was very accurate. It's based okay. on true stories. Do you think that it's true. one of the most accurate films? Yes. Okay. I, I have heard, I've heard that. that time. Yes, right. I've heard. I have heard that. I've heard there's a few other films that are not quite accurate that are more just you know glitz and glam for Hollywood. But I did hear from a lot of people that Godfather is a very accurate representation of of what was going on in the Italian culture and and yes. was, was that move was the movie? I, I'm not. If it came out in 1971, was that around the same time your father was shot? Was that before or after the movie? We just oh, here we have a back. Yes, okay. came out. It was finished. The, the he was shot June sixteenth to be released at Christmas for its first viewings in that year seventy one. Okay, yeah, because I remember reading something. Or I think it was an article uh, through the New Yorker that you did, and it was it was about him getting uh, shot or assassinated, and, and it was the person that shot him didn't really shoot him or. I forgot the story about. They the, said it the was F- somebody else, and it really wasn't that person. Said the FBI or something well, talked to him beforehand. But he had an accomplice, a woman. They said, I have the picture proving it. And that day, there was no film of my father. They confiscated it. The guy that died, did it, died now. My father didn't like guns around. He was a friend of my brother's. He was a really tough kid, very nice kid. Very, uh, but when they were handcuffing the guy that shot my father, he crawled under 17 cops, shot him to death, left the gun there and his shoe, and walked to the hospital and stood by my father. And who was the, the who, who this? Who was who this? Chubby. So the this is the person that shot your father or not? Or the, no, the person shot the person shot my father. Oh, 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 okay, yeah, that's okay. That makes more and sense. That, he went away, and the FBI says, "Tell him to come back." We knew my father was getting shot that day. I didn't go because of that reason, and uh, the FBI had made him a deal to back off his people, and they'll never bother him. He said, "I can't do that." They said, "You know what we got to do?" They said, "Do what you have to do." I'm not backing off my people. Uh, that's not what killed him. That's where my angry years came from. Mm. Not that he went down for what he believed that he wouldn't take back off the Italian people, the blacks, the Jews, or anything he felt was right, because he did what he thought felt was right. If mm. that had consequences, he accepted them. Mm. Sure. Uh, w- without anything, and anybody that had more than him was, and he was a very generous guy too, and uh, you could talk to him. If 
felt safe. He was interested in what you had to say. Before he made a decision, he would ask everybody, what do you say? And he would talk first. And he had a way of bringing the better out of you, and you could trust him. His word was good. And he had no agenda mm. other than to do what's right. And I think that should be all our agenda. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. I have always said the only time I've ever reached perfection, pardon the phrase, I don't like the curse, is when I've been a perfect asshole. That has come easy to me with anger, with paranoia, with whatever you want to say. But we have to balance that. Mm -hmm. As long as we recognize it, and there are no perfect people, and in one of his phrases, that's why pencils have erases. Ah. <laughs> All right. Another, another great saying. Yes. Yeah, I always talked about, I always heard the thing of being perfectly imperfect. My father loved all people. The people of that era wanted you to marry Italians. None of my brothers married Italians, but he loved them the same. He loved his grandchildren. So he loved all people. Yeah, we're all God's children, right? I hope so. Either that or <laughs> I'm on the wrong side of things, but I doubt it. <laughs> no. But even if we are wrong, what's wrong with being good to people? Exactly. What's wrong with trying to do it right? Exactly. I mean, that that's the, you know, I've always said that that's the, the golden rule, right? I mean, we're both Christian men, and we believe that... I went to Catholic grammar school, Catholic high school, Catholic college, three years of Little Flower Montessori in Prospect Park yeah. in Brooklyn. How many fights I had on the way to that <laughs> You know, I actually oh, no. at one point wanted to be a priest. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, Vince Lombardi was my idol. You know? Oh, ah, Vince Lombardi. Giants. Oh, man. He was my idol, motivational speaking, my, my the way I, I coached football, you know, everything. The way I, I, I addressed the guys in my finance office, uh, who are we, soldiers of God. I mean, you know, I, I, it's, I, really I, like I, that. I, I make it simple. Who are we? What do we do? And this is what we are. And the only control a man has is self-control. The rest is up to God. So, so what was what would you say is the biggest trait you took away from your father that you're, you know, living and dying by today? I mean, it sounds like. I didn't take anything from my father. He planted good seeds. And my sin was I saved a lot of people who weren't so good, and I got that karma. So you got to know who to help. Mm -hmm. did, I planted some poison seeds mm -hmm. before you figure out who to help. And that's what I'm doing with the podcast. If I give them my picks and they depend on me, once I die, they're still susceptible. So I'm going to teach them and educate them. It's like my children. I'll know I did a good job if when they go through their hard times and I gave them the tools that they needed. Or they will curse me that I didn't give them the tools. Gotcha. So right. I don't believe in the handout. I believe in a healthy hand up. And I believe the tools to make it is important for the older people to give the younger people. And you learned that in jail by the older inmates, too. Wow. And that's like what, you know, that goes with the old adage that says, you know, give a man a fish, feed him for a day, but teach a man a fish, and you feed him for right. a lifetime. Yeah. Right? So that's right. what you were saying. If you give somebody your picks. He's a very insightful guy. He he knows a lot. I learned a lot from this guy. Oh, yeah. And he knows a lot. He knows how to apply it in the right way. He does. He's a smart guy. I can see it in his face. He's intrigued. He was expecting, uh, you know. Uh, no, I uh, I, I had good, I had good parents. I will say that. I had good I parents. I can tell that already. <laughs> uh, but it, it goes to your point of you give somebody your picks, then, you know, great. They might win today. They might win tomorrow. They might win for the next five years. But when you're gone, they stop winning. But if you teach or them, they never learned, and now they have a gambling problem. right. Or you teach them the proper ways. Then when you're long gone, they know what they know what to do. They they have the the, the tools in place to continue on. They they understand, like you had said, self control of there if there is a addictive gene, how to recognize it and control it. Because yeah, once well, the addictive gene, market it. 
they're attracting the addictive gene. That's yeah, that's the unfortunate side of, of marketing, so I recognize it. Explain something to you. Why a gambling addict is most dangerous to himself and people around him is because an alcoholic you can see it, a drug addict you can see it, a gambler you can't see it. And in my experience, they could con you out of your pants. And they're lovable when they need to be. Anthony, hand me a cigarette pal. Do uh I mean and again, someone from coming from someone who doesn't know much about gambling or gambling a lot, but Yes, but I see you process. Yeah, I, you know you when when I when I when I don't know much about a conversation, I'm I'm just a, a big sponge. But you know, but, realizes what he don't know, not what he does. That's it. But you know what? It's Appreciate actually that. not necessary. It, it's not a, a bad thing that because no, you're like you recognize. Listen, I don't know, but I'm not going to get into it. Is that normal? Right, you're like I'm not. I don't know about this. So listen, why am I going to gamble if I don't know how to gamble? Game. We're talking about things I know. You know what I'm saying? For yeah. sure. I I, well, I know your cigars now. They taste great. They're enjoyable to smoke. The 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 burn is good. The the leaf is good. The everything about it is what a cigar could be, and it's very smooth, but still has a taste. Well, thank you, that. thank you that very much. You very well with that. Put a lot of thought into it. Yeah, it was, thank you. It took, it took quite a while. It took quite a while. But I, I and you hit all the elements because I used to smoke a lot of cigars. And now, well, we appreciate. It. Thank you. Well, that mean, that means a lot. So, because you know, just like just like your, with your businesses and anything that you do, you put your heart and soul into it. So, <clears throat> when you got someone else saying that it's a good product, it means a lot to us. Yeah, it's a very um, it's an enjoyable product, and I can see you put your energy and time into most it. Definitely. And we we are grateful that that you recognize the heart and soul that we put into that because it's nice when somebody else. It's you know, it's great when somebody smokes it and they say, yeah, "I like the cigar." Put the good in things. If I don't find them, I run away. That's another great thing that you put is is to look through. You know, I'm happy to be here. Because I, actually, I always, happy that here. I always say that there's, you know, I see a lot of people when they, they, like you had mentioned earlier in the show, is we have a generation of complainers and people pointing out this and pointing out that and complaining about this and whining about that. And I said, well, can I raise my hand? Yeah, sure. They have never had people like me and Murray Richmond was on the show. Uh, that's airing today. We have very different views. I believe in God. He does it with friends thirty one years. Smart, one of the smartest guys in the universe. He hails me as the same. Uh, I think I'm a dope, personally. Uh, no negative talk. No negative talk. No, no, no. no just, you know, it's just <laughs> I don't use whatever intelligence I have to hurt. Sure, mother, sure, sure. That wrong game. I count my blessings very well because I know what it's like to be able to have advanced Alzheimer's, dementia, and Parkinson's. So I'm not wasting my energy because that day is coming. Yeah, sure. You want to you want to use your energy on the good, not on the negative. Yes, yes. You, you listen. You come into this world naked. You go out naked. All you take with you, and you're going to be judged for is your deeds. And you're only as good as your last deed. Ah, yeah. No Columbo, You get a bill for life, good or bad, when you leave it. As you used mm-hmm. to say. But anyway, long story short, I'll get to the point. The point is, that's a cop out that they're whining. What's happening is, people want to be right. They don't think, they don't evaluate. And where I learned that is my father used to listen to everybody said. He said he believed that the truth is where your perspective should be. The closer your perspective to the truth is, the more successful you'll be. So he'd say, if I talk to somebody and their perspective is 180 degrees there and I'm 20% off center where I should be, it might bring me here or vice versa. People are not willing to take the time to converse and think. They talk like they text. I think texting has put us back. I don't know how many years. Sure. I think the cell phones, FaceTime, people go out to eat, they take pictures. When do you enjoy the meal with the people? Mm-hmm. 
That's why I hailed this type of podcast. I wanted to do it. You sit around, you talk, you share, and you exchange. And what's the greater exchange of knowledge and feelings? And you can say anything against people. You say, be careful. I don't take it personally. When you argue with people, it's never a victory. Nobody ever wins a fight. Sure. Right. And it's, it's, you bring up two, two good points. There's, well, the first one is with the, with the texting is people forget with this, this whole social media and being on the phone all the time and scrolling and text. They've lost the ability to be present. And That's to be, my phone. Yeah, show it to you. I, I got a, I got a very advanced phone. Yeah, I think I saw a flip phone. In yeah. <laughs> Probably a flip phone, right? Yeah, it's 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 very true. Exactly. But, well, for five years, the government didn't let me have a phone. I might have right? took a back. But, you know, people, people have true. lost the ability to be present and in the moment and enjoying the moment, right? And I, and I see it where you had said that people lose this ability to converse and to be able to talk with people and understand. Because I go up to uh, my alma mater up in, in Rochester, and we recruit some kids. High school. Thank you. Thank you. That's a party school. It was, yeah. I, a nice town, too. It was. I, <laughs> I did my share of partying um, up there. As we all did. Yeah, of course. You know, you're in college, you know. being a, I was on the basketball team, so I was an athlete as well. We, we Even did, more so. We did a little bit more partying, right? But That's why we get along. You're, you're easily coachable. <laughs> you're probably coached. I was, yes. Yeah, I had. You know, I, had I, I could see that already. My father was a, my, my coach. I also had a very... Good uh, travel coach by the name of Ross LaCourt. Um, he, That's what I did, travel team. I didn't want to get involved with the parents. And coaching my son, there was no nepotism. Yeah, he was a very, very good coach. Um, but we, I go up there and we recruit. I try to recruit kids and students to come and work for our company. Basketball is a great game. Love it. Love it. Team game. And uh, I would instant – I would know whether or not the students – because we're in, I'm in a sales role, right? So we recruit kids for, for sales. And I would know whether or not within the first 30 seconds, not even, first 15 seconds, whether or not these kids were suitable for the position. And it had nothing to do with the resume. It has nothing to do with the resume. Right. Nothing. It is The mental state of mind. When you come up to me, do you shake my hand firmly? Do you look me in the eye? And do, you, and do you introduce yourself? Those three things cannot be taught. Right from the bat, you know. And if you don't do those you don't. You're. That's it. You're, not, you're no nothing, shot. There's nothing worse when you get you one of these. That was the opposite. You, you, you I looked for the guys that didn't shake the hands, had pending drug problems, anger problems. I learned to vent. I went with the bad news bears and made them have fun. Gave them a value of self worth. Motivated, and we were undefeated. Uh, one of my heroes in sin. What happened to him was Coach Paterno. He happened to be there, and I played middle linebacker before Lawrence Taylor changed the game forever, and he did. L- that job was. Couldn't control that middle of size, so you hit as hard as you could to make him hear footsteps. And then uh, my idol in football was Rocky Blyer. They said he was too short. He went off to Vietnam. They blew his legs off. He was on the practice team for the Steelers. They told him he'd never walk again. He came back to win a couple, three, four, I don't know how many world championships. And he blocked and he hit like nobody. That's my kind of guy. Mm. I'm always for the underdog and let's beat the odds. The way I lost faith in people for a while. I think the kids from the family unit have lost faith. And that's what I try to reinstill. And I think that's the message that God gave me. I have to have faith in people to help them. No, that's... that's. I would say some of those things. That's very admirable. That's very admirable because... And, and that's you know kind of what I was going with the students is I don't really care what's on the resume because I would much rather have somebody that has a poor resume, right? Maybe they're just... They're, they're not doing well in school, whatever. It's, school's basically a memory game, okay? 
I want to take that guy who's maybe not as you know higher up. He's not on the dean's list, whatever, and give him the shot because I think he has the skills of you know, you know what I'd ask personable, him? whatever. I don't want the person that I do it with everything, and this is correct. What's the first thing I ask? Do you like what you're doing? Yes. What is your reason for doing it? Yeah. What's good indication? What's what's your why? You can see their what's your motivation? You can see their you can see their instant reaction. Do you like it? Yeah. Yeah. Most I I learned from the Montessori system, and the one that was indicative of the best was Maria uh, Montessori was a nun, and when she taught her system of teaching, it was uh, in India. They worked very hard. It was the theory is enjoy as you play, but play what you're doing. Make it entertaining. I do that with everything. Yeah. Going to the store shopping is entertaining. Yeah. Right. The things I hate to do, I make entertaining. Well, that's what I say. Like, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm in. I'm in. Oh, I the... work very hard. Well, I'm no, but I'm, but but if you love it, if you enjoy doing it, yes, you're going to work hard, but it doesn't. There's a difference between hard work and having it feel like it's obligated work. Like I, I, I don't want to do this, but I have to. Right. If you enjoy it. That is a mental state of mind. Hmm. That's a block. Why don't you want to do it? Right. Hundred percent. To your point, is the things that you don't feel like you you make find a way to make them enjoyable and do them anyway. And that's yeah. where discipline comes in, right? If you want to get to X, there's a certain thing that you have to, you have People to be disciplined. Don't like to do things that they're afraid to do or figure they'll fail or be judged. That we've a hundred percent, hundred percent. Because I, uh, you know, what I what I relate to that is. Uh, I'm in the commercial insurance world. I'm in sales. But my thing is I I walk into businesses. I go in. I what we said, shake the hand, look people in the eye and tell yourself. And people are like, "What do, what do you what do you you're what are you doing here? What why are you knocking on my door?" And people are like kind of confused like they want an email or a phone call and it helps yeah. me out a lot because they're like, "Oh, no one ever comes by." Like, I don't know who this is. And it and it's a it's a personal thing. It's like how the things used to be. Like, no, people used to walk in and be like, "Hey, how you doing? I'm I'm Eric, and this is what I'm doing here today." And it works in my favor mm-hmm. tremendously because I don't even have access my email. Anthony does it for me. <laughs> What's that? I don't even have access my email. Anthony, I'm <laughs> But I it's, got it, Facebook. He's got to help me get through it. it. It's true. I mean, the the there's way something to be said for for conversation, for actually talking to people, seeing them in person, face to face. I mean, I'll tell you this example. I was just in the Bronx couple uh, last week. Stopped in, dropped my dropped my card off, and uh, you know, people in New York they kind of just shoo you away. Like, yeah, yeah, give you they either give you time or they don't give you time. It's very black and white. And yeah. you know, a week later, I got a phone call from that from that company that I stopped at and said, "Hey, I you know, you stopped by, you dropped your card. I need help." Well, you have and, an endearing face. Well, I appreciate it. You know, my mama says you're not very good at thing a lot of things, but you are good looking. So, <laughs> no, no, you have an endearing face. I appreciate that. And you look a little bit like Steven Seagal. You know what? You do look like you Steven Seagal. So? I've never, yeah. I have never gotten that. You might look at the Steven Seagal personally. I have you never do, gotten that. Do. I'll take that as a huge compliment. You do compliment. look like Steven Seagal I, a little bit. I, I can see yeah. that. All right. Yeah. All right. Appreciate that. But yeah, I mean, it again, like, you know, if I call you, you'd be like, you know, who's this schmuck call me? But if I show up in your, you show up in your house or your I business. I get up in the morning and I like, because it's bookmaking and it had, took me a lot to adapt to the computer. I could tell people's attitude on the phone. Ah. I mean, sometimes people you think they're nasty, they're not, they're having a bad day. Like, you could text me at 8 o'clock, good morning. I'll say, what do you mean, good morning? So you know what just happened? If you're on the phone, you know I was having a bad day. Yeah, Most definitely. Some of these phones have broke. In the old days, Italians lived in Italy, for instance. Grandparents, parents, grandchildren, children live in one house. Moderate, nice house, one car. 
but they dress up to go out every night to have a four-day work week. People in this country are working, and with even the new liquor laws, which I agree with to some degree, because mothers against drunk drivers, because when I was growing up, if I was speeding at 2 o'clock in the morning, I pulled over, told the officer I was drunk, he let me go. 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I got a ticket. Mm. If you killed somebody, it was diminished capacity, and I was almost killed by a drunk driver. So I never drank and drove. I was always designated driver. I didn't like to drink anyway. I got like a wild Indian. So anyway, I do anything I think it was. It's really funny. Well, long story short, it was needed, but we're not enjoying ourselves in this country. And what you're doing, I hail. Enjoy a good cigar, good conversation. And you could bring up any topic, not judge. Forget thought. Let people decide for themselves. Yeah. Right. Watch. One news station, they're slanted this way. You see the same story on the next news station, it's that way. Yep. I'm used to, uh, I'm Roger Grinsby and here now the news. I'm Walter Cronkite, here's tonight's news. They gave you the facts. Yeah. Why do you have to change the news to, to give me a subliminal message? Right, let the people decide for themselves. Yeah, think for yourselves. And yeah. that's people losing. They're depending on the phones. Yep. They're depending on the computers. They want other people to do the thinking for them. Or reaching people. Yeah. And I hail you. I, I swear I like it. Well, we, we, always, we always say that there's um, people have become what we call sheeple. And they, they just want other people to do the thinking for them and just tell me how I'm supposed to think. Instead of give me the facts and I'll make the decision of how to think. Practice right. makes permanent, not perfect. Right, yeah. Practice makes permanent. People... Our creatures are habit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, for, ex- for example, like you know, leading up to you, I didn't, I didn't want to just come into the interview with you and, and just assume just by I your just just by your name. So I watched interviews, I yeah. read articles because I want to formulate my own opinion, my own line of questioning, however you want to do it. Because what do you think so far? I think you're it's a great been, guy. It's been a great you, know, you said you're a funny guy, and I was really hoping you're a funny guy. And you really are a funny guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, we've had, this has been a. Okay, amuse you. I'm a clown. This is, this, this, this <laughs> Thank has you been, for picking up on that. This has been. He a, deserved the Oscar for that role. Oh, he did. 100%, yeah. 100%. But this has been. A, it's been a great, a great conversation with you, and I'm, I'm glad that you came on. I'm grateful that you came on, and it's, um, it's been really fun to get to know you. Uh, Anytime you need me, I'm here. I, I have one last question about Johnny Carson. My dad was a big Johnny Carson fan. I'm a big Johnny. We were both of Johnny Carson. Greatest monologue in history. So funny, right? Ice dresser. The best. But as I said, I get like a wild Indian. I understand it too. <laughs> the relationship that Ed McMahon and my father made was incredible. My mother used to fry, and my mother wasn't the quintessential. She had blonde hair, blue eyes from Naples, but she was born here. And she was born like my father during Depression. She was one of 13 children. My father only had a brother and a sister and lost a younger brother to Whooping Cough. And both of them had a sense of humor and had a different approach to things. They thought. And they would ask you what you thought. So when you got caught doing something, my father would say, why did you do that? And then he'd say, at least you had a reason. They never understood what he meant. Yeah. Until I got yeah. older. Sure. You know? So what I was trying to say, you know, we're obviously everyone's big fans of Johnny Carson, but... Um, Very big. Huge. There was a there was a situation where Johnny Carson was getting getting uh, threatened in New York, and your dad was a part of the people brokering a deal to not hurt him and make him move to L.A. Is that is that? Oh no! What happened? I'm going to tell you the story. That that's what I'm looking for. Thank you. Didn't do that, but he broke the deal. Is the Italian American Civil Rights League? They changed the law to indict my brother Joseph on Hobbs Act. Faced 20 years. Joey was a big coin collector, and he was collecting silver quarters and melting them down because the quarter was worth more in silver. Yeah. And he collected other coins. It was just part of what you did. 
And, you know, he would always grab your change and look through it and put it in those things. It was a hobby since he was a kid. Yeah, if the quarter was like pre-65, it was made with silver instead of like a metal alloy, right? Something like that? Yeah, but it wasn't. It was maybe 65 cents for the quarter or maybe less. Right. But, but as many quarters as you could collect, if yeah. there weren't things. I actually still do that. I hear too. If you ever get change, I listen to it because you can always hear if there's one that it has a higher ping than the other ones. Yes. I'm like, that one's made of silver. That's probably, <laughs> I go, that's probably like 1950 or four. original clickers if yeah. you drop pennies on the <laughs> I always see it. You put change on the counter. I'm like, wait a second. Hold on. That doesn't sound right. Yep. There it is. That one's, that <laughs> one's worth $1.50. That's how you know a bad penny. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so anyway, the story goes like this. How the Italian-American Civil Rights League, my father created aid, American of Italians, descent in the 50s, to unite the Italians and help them. Because in our neighborhoods, we didn't have Italian police officers, we didn't have Italian mayor, we didn't have an Italian chief of police, we didn't have Italian congressmen. Italians never stuck together. And he thought that we should have one of people that represented our, our, our endeavors or our trials and tribulations to the best they can. So we always wanted to act to people, and Italians were very prejudiced of each other because... Prejudice turned out, if you had more than Italians have blonde hair, blue eyes, all Italians were that way, like Germans. And then Italy got invaded, so when the ones that had dark hair, dark eyes were considered part black. and So that went on in Italy before then, it carried on to here, and it was very bad. Southern Italians didn't get along with upper southern to northern, and upper northern's prejudice were about Italia, and he dealt with all that all his life. And he was half Calabrese, half Nobly Don. And uh, as we continue, they arrested my brother Joey, and it was actually, they changed the laws. It was a ridiculous case. Matter of fact, in the history of federal system, we gave no defense. The case was so bad. When they arrested, we said, go ahead, put a jury. That's how, that's how bad it was. So he took me and my sister, and he's on 69th Street, where FBI headquarters is kicking on the door, saying, take us all. And then his friends came, and then more people came. And then every night at 6 o'clock, they would gather around FBI headquarters and pick it, but the news wouldn't pick us up. So we were picketing 200 to 1,100 people every night with signs, and there was a lot of harassment going on and a lot of Gestapo tactics, and they would chant, Heidi, 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 ho, the FBI has got on the go. And this was under the Hoover times. It was very bad. Hitler vowed he'd never die. He'd come back as the FBI, and it would end up by going zig high. And my father was infuriated that they would do that to his son. Take me, leave my son alone. Or take all of us. What are you doing? What do we live here? And uh, there was one case for policy. They came in with machine guns in the funeral home and arrested a gentleman by the name of Tommy Babushka and took him out in front of his dad. It was for numbers. Told the mother he'd never going to see himself with the father in the casket. I mean, they were doing some terrible things. And it wasn't all the FBI. It was the COINTELPRO division of the FBI. Hmm. I have respect for the FBI and what it's formed for. But I have respect for all law enforcement. And I treat them respectfully, and they've always treated me with a lot of respect. So... As we continue, no new stations doing it. Now, my father was a guy that did a lot of favors. That was part of what he liked to do. And he liked peace and harmony, and he felt that poverty bred violence. So if people could earn a little living and be able, they would be a little more happy. And he said success was if you got up in the morning and enjoyed what you went to do and didn't have to look in anybody's pocket, that was success. I think people go out and they earn money and they're not happy in what they're doing. Or they can't earn what they're happy at. So he always facilitated that. And he liked doing it. So what happens is Johnny Carson used to hang out at uh, Patsy's. Not the one in Harlem, the one on the, on the west side. 
And there was a guy, a very uh, strong, uh, uh, a guy that they would hail as a boss was there. Not the guy that they called me. It wasn't Joe Gallo. This guy, that, this is how it started. He called me for the interview. This is the word they said. And he said that my father broke in a deal. This came from Johnny Carson's lawyer. This came from Ed McMahon, the producer from NBC, came Cy Kravitz, who was married Rocky Rokes from the Jeffersons. And she was black. He was white. Had money Kravitz. And I'm still friendly with his, the, 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 his half-sister and uh, uh, their husband up here and uh, so on and so such. So Ed McMahon comes, and my father likes him a lot. He says, Johnny's hanging out, and, uh, and Johnny liked to drink. And he, he was, if you didn't know Johnny, he, it wasn't disrespectful. I remember when Raquel Welch, I was a kid, I thought she was the most beautiful girl on the planet. We didn't have porn. You know, we had the J.C. Penny and National Geographic. And I thought she was the most beautiful thing in that post that he saw the Shawshank Redemption. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a post. I mean, she got me through puberty. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm watching the Johnny Carson show. He always had pretty women. He had animals, which I have a lot of. My alpaca just died. I got peacocks. I snatched the NBC peacock off the Cosby show. I got generations. Very hard to do one in captivity. I have unique tastes. I like what I like. <laughs> and an God animal bless. will never lie to you. Or rat on me either. So anyway... Uh, Ed McMahon comes and they become great friends. But I liked him. He emceed Ed McMahon both of the, the, the league's extravaganza to raise money for the leagues, but from Frank Sinatra to Paul Anka to Sammy Davis to Jimmy Durante to Frankie Valley. It was the greatest star studded extravaganza ever, all for the league. And Ed McMahon emceed it for him. So Ed McMahon is doing the show because Johnny's hiding in New Jersey and this guy really wants him because, you know, those people that ever, you didn't abuse any women and children, especially theirs. Mm. And it would, you know, it, you know, and if your kid was wrong, it's not like he made him right. I mean, you know, and uh, you know, and, and Johnny went too far, and you know, he was drinking. He, you know, if I drank that much, I'd been there myself. But this guy wasn't having it. Because Johnny pushed the far, they threw him down the stairs because they heard he was coming to get him out of there. Because this guy, and this guy, just took it seriously, and he had lost his son. It had a brain aneurysm. He made the kid shovel snow. He thought he was lazy when the kid died, so he was an angry person also. He blamed himself. And here's Johnny bothering his girl. And uh, so, and the guy says, I'm going to break his face when I see him. And he went to NBC. You know, he, he didn't care. Jail did not matter to him if you heard his children or the women. He got more protective if he lost his son. Only man that ever scared me. Mm, wow. Yeah, I remember... Uh, I was a young boy. This is the first time I saw how much heart my father had. Uh, so I had an Aunt Fanny. And after we were born, she was there. She was a character. But what she used to do was teach us the F word because she was a little resentful that my mother and father go on vacation. She would babysit. So she'd say F, F, till you came back. So she taught you how to curse just to get a rise and break her sister's walls and bother her husband, Uncle Mike, who was meticulous. So it was right after he came back from vacation and she taught me the F word. So this guy was at the house waiting for my father. He was sitting downstairs. And uh, I called my uh, fat F. And this guy screams. And he looked like a bulldog. And he was ferocious. He yelled at me. I think I almost beat myself. <laughs> and the only man I ever feared, I ran. I was under the dining room table. <laughs> and he comes upstairs. And my father's there. He says, what's the matter? And I'm shaking. He says, and he tells him. My father looked like he was jumped out of his bag. I never saw a man before. Who are you? <laughs> my son and his eyes. I, never, I got more afraid at that point. And my father, because I said, this guy's going to eat my father for lunch. I said, I better get out from under this table and try to help here. You follow me? Yeah. I stood under the table. He says, hey, I think he's got this. Right? 
And the guy says, well, but Joey, I'm sorry. He said, I don't want to hear it. He says, lucky we're friends. And he says, I'm lucky I'm yelling at you. Don't ever yell at a chit again, especially mine or any other kid. You understand? And the guy just shrunk. And then they sat down and everything was fine. We mm. apologized. Please, thank you. I'm sorry. You're welcome. Went a long way with him. Mm. And it was a long way with me and it should go a long way. The magic words I was taught. So once he said he was sorry, everything's good. He, he took me, hugged me. I was white. God, I got this guy's hands on. <laughs> After my father got to see, he was in jail. He went to jail. He came out, and the first place he left from jail, he loved my father so much, he pulled right here to the house where we were. I was 16 years old, and I was a badass. When he hugged me again, I turned white. <laughs> and I made sure not to call him a fat ass. Sure. <laughs> yeah. But I was tempted. Learn that lesson, right? I didn't know I was a kid. I had Aunt Fanny prompted. Yeah, me. blame it on Aunt Fanny. <laughs> I just sit there. Now, my daughter, I call her Daddy, my first child. Because I would say daddy, 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 daddy before, because when I was talking to the bed, because I wanted the first words to be daddy. Aunt Fanny was going, ah, fat, 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 Good old I Aunt Fanny. Her, she programmed me. She got me in this. She was that way. What you do to let this go? He says, so so Johnny Carson was messing with somebody's wife? Is that what you're saying? At a restaurant? He was, he was being Johnny Carson drunk. Okay. Like one with, with, with Raquel Welch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was provocative in his ways of talking. It was very funny, but just not to this guy's thing. He was, you know, breaking a chops. He was well endowed, you know. He was Johnny Carson. Yeah, yeah. Had I not, you know, I might have, like, got a laugh out of it, but I didn't because it's a woman, you know, and that's right, not the way right, we were. Right, right. do what you want on your show. I'm sitting there, you know, I don't want this here. I mean, and it goes back to when Raquel Welch was there. She had this white outfit, this beautiful white-eyed girl. A cat, she tells Johnny Carson, you want to pet my pussy? He says, sure, move the cat. I mean, that was Johnny Carson. <laughs> I mean, he could get away with it on the Tonight Show, but not with this guy right. and his girl. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, those people wore their morals on their sleeve. I mean, there was none of that. So even, I guess, he wanted her to move the cat. And, it, you know, and he was pretty, you know, being drunk out of his mind. He didn't care who was going to. She tried to warn him. On yeah. the time she moved, he came, and he was just being Johnny Carson. Yeah. Now, could it have been that? Could it be? I like Johnny Carson. We loved Ed McMahon. He became like part of the family. He was there every Sunday for meatballs. We used to make the best meatballs. She'd fry them and people go right down. So the deal was, and how he calmed it down, he said, this guy's going to help us by Channel 4 News. He's going to show what they're doing to Italians. So, and we're not animals. You want to hurt this guy. Look how they're helping us. He calmed down. He said, but he can't come to New York. So I don't want to see him. So... <laughs> Anyway, they wanted to move the show to California, and I think Johnny wanted to go, and everything was fine, and my farmers promised him, and uh, and the guy was there with Egg McMahon. He gave his word. He would never bother Johnny, and uh, 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 Johnny apologized to NBC and uh, whatever, and everybody lived happily ever after, and they started. That's how the league grew. They filmed us, and they put it on the news, and that's how my father did things. He was an alchemist like I am. Wow. Ah, okay. That's so that, a that's a crazy the story. Good. So that that's was a crazy so was, story. That was his way of getting in to to show people that Italian Americans aren't what's being portrayed and what's everyone's being shown. This is what people right. are, Italians actually are. You know, the, yes. they're, they're good people. And, they're and, family people. And yes. like you, you know, maybe you overreacted, but my son, you overreacted Johnny Carson a little because you're going through an angry time. Yeah. Right. Right. That's Got amazing. It. That's amazing. Got it. Got it. Let's let's all behave ourselves and act like gentlemen. For yeah, sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Other questions or anything I can do? I would like to say honestly, the cigar is very good. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. I had to stop smoking it because I was inhaling it. I liked it so much. <laughs> we don't want you to do that. We don't want you to do that. But we're glad oh, you enjoyed it. Up. It's that good. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. 
And, um, and and we really, really can't thank you enough for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join to us. To be continued. To be continued, yes. And, and I and I we'd love the, to be a part two. The le- the the one thing I wanted to um, I wanted to mention again was uh, was going back to uh, my analogy of the, you know the blue and the green lens, and what I was getting at was how you see see life and how you always look for the good in people and, and i think that that's something that's very admirable and is kind of lost nowadays is where the the way that you think and you had talked about how it's all about your your the way that you change your mind right if you choose to see the good in the world then that's what you're going to see if you choose to see the negative depicted not by prejudice or bias right if you mm. just choose the lens that you want to look through if you choose to see the world well, to be the no, good place then you'll see it good in the people it's a scale yeah. and and i and I, I really do uh admire the fact that that you do that that you choose to see the good in people i'll give you an example I want to be a priest. I come home and tell my mother. She, my mother was very, very smart, extremely. And she had a way of taking your pain away. She said, I think I'm going to be a priest. You know, you can't get married. I said, I'll get around that. God, the priests were allowed to get married, have kids till the 15th century. One died, left his money. To, it's about greed. I said, I know priests that uh, will get around that. I don't think God will be mad at me for that. <laughs> she says, all right. She was smart, my mother. She says, uh, she says uh, well, you know, you got to pray to God to forgive people's sins as part of your job. Says, yeah, that's no big deal. I said, well, what do you do when a guy comes up and tells you a pedophile or a rapist? I said, slap his neck. He says, I think you should look for another profession. <laughs> <laughs> with your co-workers so well. <laughs> and that's fair. That's fair. That's, that's fair, fair. Sta- fair statement. Mother knew what she wanted. That's great. Uh, look at, look at you know, look at, I believe in God significantly, and I believe in Catholicism significantly. But the business part of it, I don't. And to not allow priests to get married, is attracting that element. Sure. Which doesn't make sense because it's marriage is a sacred bond between a man and a woman before God. It's it's all dollars. So if, were to married to the fifteenth or seventeenth century, they right. change it. So if you're a priest and you're a priest pra- that died left his money to his wife, the Pope got mad. Yeah. And so if, to tell somebody that they're practicing you know, Catholicism, they're practicing Christianity, and one of the things in Christianity is a sacred bond of marriage, and you're saying, this is what you're practicing, but you can't get married? Like, that kind of goes against... Yeah. <clears throat> Doesn't make sense. And why I say I'm a dope and experiences a dear school and only a mere fool may learn from it, as my... When I tried and helped, and I did the best I could to raise my brother's children, the best I could interim, I think I did a good job. Some of them would became uh, lawyers and, 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 and professors, but they wouldn't have been if he's home because I had a different outlook to it. And I, I, that's a story for another day. But I never understood my parents were really children until I had my own. And I think if they let priests get married and nuns, it would be so much more fulfilling, and that would put the church and the family unit back together because you're calling them father, sister, brother. Mm, mm. And now if they can understand you, I think that would be one of the steps that the Catholic Church should revolutionize to do. It's a great but point. I a great pope. Makes and we sense. got a good cardinals. And I say Makes maybe they should use the Jewish term and have some chutzpah. There you go. That's a great right. point. That's a great point. It is. And makes, I think that's one me. of the things that the church dropped the ball with. We do appreciate your time. We we had a 
wonderful conversation getting yeah. to know you and we appreciate all the stories you're a great storyteller you're a great guy if we're if we end up actually doing this together my goods are good but my bads are bad i work on them yeah, everybody, that's everybody everybody's everybody. got you know yeah I'd, I'd love to i'd love to actually inter, you know do part two in person we will do part two it would be, we're not too far from each other we're in new york where i'm down in long island he's in east chester and you're you're up in i like east chester yeah, I like Chester the 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 fish market with the sailboat next to it was one of my favorite restaurants. Oh yeah, all right for sure. Yeah, loved it. Used to go there all the time. Oh, that's and you're where? I'm in I'm in Long Island. I'm in Huntington. I'm on the North I Shore. Like Huntington. Yeah, my father was involved in the Huntington townhouse, and Leonard's a great Nick. Oh okay. Wow. Yeah, I'm right. I'm right over by the. Uh, I'm in, more of on South Huntington, but that's that's my my partner's uh, from Long Island. Okay, where about? Uh, uh, I give it a, where, where's Robbie from? He stayed in the cabbage house. I'm a part of Long Island. That'll be for part two. Yeah, okay. That'll be part two. Yeah, right now, nice people. Yeah, because if we uh, if we can do it again in person, the cops over a- there hate bookmakers. Yeah, oh, yeah, I know. They came to Orange County to get me. <laughs> Crazy, but, but uh, yeah, we'll do the, we'll do part two in person. I think that'll be the plan. It'll be a lot good. More it'll be a lot more chemistry. Even though I think we it'll have be a lot great. Chemistry right it'll now, be great. But uh, again, Chris. Thank you so much for coming on here, giving us two hours of your time. We really appreciate Pleasure it. And the honor is mine. Appreciate it. Invited me to your home, and I, I, I wanted to be as, uh, as hospitable in your home as I could be. And your, your social graces were terrific. As interviewers, I hail you. And a good cigar and good conversation could help the future. That's, that's it. That's what it's all about. That's, meditation. that's what. That's why we started this show. That's was it, for exactly that. So bringing people together. So we, uh, go ahead. So, so, so. We again appreciate your time here. This is kind of the the, the right, moment. Cut it off. No. no, this is the uh, this is the moment where we like to give the red carpet to you to kind of plug away and let people know where they can find you. Where you know, talk about your podcast, talk about anything that you want people to to perhaps subscribe to or whatever it is. The floor is well, kind of yours. One to- of the things is I was not very uh, uh, acceptable on the compound. I don't have social media. I don't blow my own horn. I'm not looking for. Anything. It's something I feel I could give back. And I'm going to try and do that the best I can. Uh, I thank the red carpet, but I'd rather put people on it than walk on it. Uh, use of the superstars. Uh, uh, I'm trying to help. I have a podcast called Taking Action with Chris Colombo. It's morphed into other areas. Uh, and I, I do the best I can, you know? Amazing. And that's what I'm trying to do. That's I have awesome. young and I want to make the world better for them. That's what it's all God about. Bless. God bless. About. So everybody, yeah, you have to check out Taking Action uh, with Chris Colombo. I'm sur- I wrote it down. I'm certainly going to uh, subscribe to it and listen to it. But we're already subscribed to it. Uh, yeah, we're already yeah, subscribed, we're already to subscribed on, on YouTube so, on the But channel. if if you enjoyed this episode, if you enjoyed watching, if you enjoyed listening to all the stories, I mean, Chris is a wonderful guy. Uh, please like, subscribe, and you know, do all the things. But Chris, thank you very much again for joining us here on the Burn Down. That's going to do it for us. And Eric's going to send it off with our signature. Cheers, our signature toast. So we have it on a shirt now. This is our, our, our permanent send-off. We like to say cheers, chin-chin, and salute. Thank you so much, cheers, Chris. Chin-chin. Just don't say gin-don. It means 100 years. I sent it to a guy that was 99. He punched me into the desk. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, chin-chin. I, 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 you know, I used to say chin-doni, and then people started saying, say chin-chin. Yeah. It's a little bit better. I sent it to a guy 99. He really got pissed. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you motherfucker. You. I get but, uh, I stop saying it. I say salute now. There. All exactly. the for their license. Well, that's why we got three options. You can say all three. You can say just one of them. Exactly. No problem. So, but uh, Chris, thank you again. We really appreciate okay. it, and uh, we'll be we'll be in touch again, and we'll. Uh, I'm a big we'll... fan of burning down right now. I got to tell you. Well, thank thank you, you. Thank you very much. So, and I'm going to send for cigars. I don't want them for free. I'll purchase them. I don't do that. 
and I will enjoy the cigars, and I will pass them on to my poker game. Thank you. Well, so thank much. you. See if Jimmy wants to take them, and uh, we'll see if you can. It's really a good cigar. Thank Thanks. you very much. Thank you. Well, I would smoke it, but I talk too much. Yeah. <laughs> it's not always the worst thing. Well, Chris, this is this is shut me up. This has been an absolute pleasure. I can't wait for part two. Um, we wish you all the best, um, and and thank you again, and, and God bless. Uh, positive energy. Positive energy. That's what it's all about. Amen. Holy Spirit. Thanks, brother. All right. Have a great night. Enjoy the rest of your evening, Chris. Thank you very much.